welcome everybody to There Will Be Dungeons. It's There Will Be Dungeons for the weekend of Saturday, August 14th, 2021. And uh, I'm Scott with Kristen, Kyle, and John. We're going to play some D&D today. So thanks for coming around and being here and being a part of it. I just got good news from the studio that uh, folks who support us on our Instance Plus program, or our Dungeons Plus program, will be getting the Delver's Guide. So if you already are on the level that gets you all of our report card stuff, you're getting that. Ooh, DM content. Everyone loves that. So uh, if you're confused as to what any of this means, head on over to the site, therewillbedungeons.com, and check out the level that gets you that cool stuff, because it's rad. Okay, let's get started. Without any further ado, we throw it to Kyle Ferguson, who will catch us up on what happened last time on There Will Be Dungeons. So last time on There Will Be Dungeons Delvers, the group investigated the financial district, which is overrun with monsters from the previous Bronze Ball night. Co got a little handsy with the local funds, and Splendor Belt in such a way described his moral quandary with it. Grinkeeper threw many of a table into a hole, and eventually they were apprehended for their grounding. The Delvers have been grounded, unallowed to take quests and operate within the city limits as adventurers. However, the skills of Ko and Splinterbeld are much, much needed. And they head over to the Temple of Paylor in order to start disenchanting, unmind controlling the feral elves who have been whispered to by the Kalazar. At the same time, Grinkeeper is off to home as she has been dismissed and suspended from the school, the local finishing school of Loran Ilfilkir. She's off to Kingdom in order to spend time with her family and to assess what she's going to do in the future. She also gained a, now in her inventory, a plus two blade. And depending on how hard she believes in herself... It might be different kinds of blades at the time of summoning. That's where we find ourselves today. Now, let's start with Grinkeeper here, who has just loaded up into the cart, heading towards Kingdom. Grinkeeper, now Evelyn Blackwood amongst her family. You know that it's a five-day ride to Kingdom, and the fact that your family's a couple of servants, as well as the doctor, were able to get here so fast leaves you a little shocked. In fact, it is quickly revealed that they stationed a sort of house nearby. Your family rented a place where they could attend to you should your health have needs. And the doctor was very close by should reports of your health failing once again come up. Over the course of your five-day ride, you stay at many nice inns along the way. Many travelers' places, a couple of inns that aren't so grand, but the nicest room is accommodated for you, and you are put up in luxury. During these five days, Splendor Belt, go. you are both required to be at the Temple of Paylor to at least use your seven uses of Remove Curse, as well as as many... Uh, mind connections to remove the state of the feral elves who are living in the catacombs as they are brought in. At the afternoons, though, after performing this task, and once you were out of spells, are yours. So you get to do what you want during that time. Any requests as to what you would use that time for? 
So we've done all the we're we're at the point where we've spent all we can spend and done all we've done for the curse lifting. And we're Exactly. On. You you roll into town, you spend your seven remove curses, you remove the the state of feralness from the elves who are being kept in the catacombs, and then you're basically sent home. Your work here is done for the day. The guild it still has you grounded. Okay. I would have uh popped over to get some t- uh, tools for the farm and then head back there uh, to help out the new guy. Give him any tools he might be missing. Our lizard friend. Or not lizard friend, our snake, snake man. Yes, Noparopa. The newest addition to the the farm. Yep. Co? Co uh, would be spending the time with his family. He would be uh, looking at selling the uh, estate house that he lived in and acquiring something a little more modest, a little closer to the guild. Um, whether he could do that in a couple days or not, I don't know, but that is what he'd be working on. Sounds good. Splendorbelt, do you end up purchasing any beasts of burden when you visit the shops? Oh, right. We were going to do that. Yeah, uh, yes, that would have been number one on my list because... Um... We need we need to start plowing and you know doing burdensome things with a beast. <laughs> so yes, I would have spent some money on that. Question is how much, and I guess you'd have to tell me. Well, we have draft horses at fifty gold pieces, but you could also opt for a donkey or mule at eight gold pieces. I uh, would probably start with a mule uh, for eight. That makes sense to me. Uh, right. So I'm going to pay that real quick. Eight gold. All right. And I now have a donkey who I will call Sean. Perfect. Sean, the 420-pound donkey mm-hmm. of reddish brown, joins you on the farm. And as you arrive back at the farm, you see your new plow uh, donated to you by the Good Wines is being operated by a snake man who has equipped it to his kind of He-Man style reins vest and is pulling it through your field. Okay. Um I would I'd wave him down and you know say look I've brought this I've brought this donkey. I should use this. He quickly then discards and unbuckles his vest that he's created. Ah! A beast will perform well here. I have plowed but two field lengths on this kingdom light. Well, uh, uh, me, um, Sean will do better job for you overall to keep you from wearing out and uh, dying in the sun. So please Good. Use, use the Sean will make quick work of the fields and we can attend to my princess. Uh, yes, which I will still feel a little hesitant about. I'm also a little anxious about the fact that this is the good wine um, plow. I'm still bugged that I feel like I'm getting sucked into a uh, an organized crime family. <laughs> so, just for whatever that's worth, slightly apprehensive in my guts about it. What should I attend to then in order to speed our passage? Uh, you plow field, then you put uh, baby potatoes. I'll point to a bucket of like spuds that are meant for replanting. Uh, you put these in rows, and cover up again. We put water on, and then we have uh, you know we grow more potato. That's the whole idea. 
Very good. I will attend to this task with great haste. Co, you uh, do your day. You enter the minds of these elves, and they are basically isolated in sort of a dark void when you find them sitting in a light that kind of defends their minds from themselves. Every single one of them seems a little scared and haunted by the experience, but removing the Kalazar's presence, or at least whatever is kind of making them feral, brings them back to reality rather quickly. And they, of course, want some rest near after. And are returned home by Aegis, who attends to you as well throughout the day. At the end of the five days here, as you've sort of made this your routine going in day after day, it does start to wear on you that each day there are more elves for you. Previously, it was said by one Zoltar the Wizened that there was only 14 in the catacombs, but every day you come in, you heal seven, and there are still seven to go. At the end of the first week of this job and this work, you receive a letter from the guild. It's written by Carrie, who says in so many words in a very excited and wide cursive handwriting, you can practically see the sort of ink that's flicked off to the side of the paper as she writes it, that she has gained access and the privilege to run tests on your wife to see why she may have been first targeted by the Kalazar. If you do agree to these tests, that you would please report with her to the guild the next day. Well, that would be information I would uh, present to Anathala and see if it's something she would be interested in exploring. She is, if you feel that it'll help. I mean, in general, I don't have any idea. Um, Carrie is definitely eager before she's cautious, and I would be lying if I said I didn't have concerns about their methods, but um, if you want to help, I mean, I have no problem with it. It's it's just up to you. I I do feel slightly responsible for whatever happened. I'd love to know why I recognize Withers at the ball and why I was first brought into this mess. Okay. I will, uh, I will let Gary know that we'll, we're in. Um, but I think it would be best if we made sure that we had the mental connection through the entire thing. That way, if there's any problems, you can just let me know. Okay. And she finds your presence taking her down there the next day comforting. Uh, would you perform your duties with Splendorball first and then let that happen afterwards? Or do you think you'd attend to Carrie and Anathala first in your day? Um, I think I'd probably do uh, Carrie and Anathala first. Um, kind of selfishly, Ko would know that if there was a problem, he would want to be ready for it, and tiring himself out during the course of the day wouldn't be to their benefit. Excellent. So we've advanced some five days now, and we return to Grinkeeper, Evelyn Blackwood, who has made her way across to the west to Verma City. 
As you approach, you see the familiar smokestacks of a more industrialized town. The entire town sort of bathed in this thick fog of coal and industry that has taken over in the previous years. Once known as the Western Towers, the actual kingdom grounds where the royals live are completely obscured by these masses and masses of homes that have sort of expanded outwards across the river, across the bridge. The entire city kind of sits on the edge of this great ocean, the sea beyond it. And you know, beyond, beyond that, not that you ever had any act interaction with them, is the vampire nation. You head through the sort of slums and muddy streets that make up the out-outsides, the disgusting tannery smells, the leather workshops that really make up bulk of the pollution. And as you get into this, the bridges and the cobblestone streets, you start making it towards the Blackwood Estate. Now, Eatmer, having a bit more room than Verma City, is, uh, well, it, it, the buildings tend to be a little larger, the grounds tend to be a little more grand. Here in the city proper, the Blackwood residence is fancy, is beautiful, is decadent, but of course all the rooms are considerably smaller, being a city-based residence. As you pull up, the servants that have been attending you over the course of your journey jump off the carriage, begin unloading your things, and the doctor who's been attending to you in the cart for this ride helps you down the single step to exit the carriage. Over the course of your ride, did you and the doctor have any conversations? No. Evelyn's been very caught up in imagining all of the possible scenarios with her parents that could happen. What of your adventuring things? She would have brought them with and put as much as she could into the bag of holding. Are there any items from your inventory that might have stayed on your person? No. They're all in the bag of holding? Yes. Excellent. And is that bag of holding on you now or do you care? Is it up in your bag? So a bag within a bag. It's in one of the many chests that's being unloaded. So as you descend your single step out of the carriage, out front, standing in his rather regal but hunched way, is Lord Blackwood. His hair balding back in this great kind of white curve around his head. He has a kind of fluffy but sparse beard. And has a cravat around his neck that's tied down into a vest. Lady Blackwood kind of bounces to herself, her hair sort of up in one of those cloths and tied tight around as it waves in the wind of the day. The streets here a little cleaner than what you experience as you go in. And she gives a sort of, oh, oh, my child. Oh, my baby. And she rushes down and no, 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 no. Dear, dear, don't make a scene. Oh, and she runs up to you and embraces you. And it's a, it's a hard, strong embrace. You know, nothing that lifts you up, of course. And then she quickly finds herself, oh, my, my, and starts adjusting your buttons that you've left unclasped correctly. 
It's good to see you too, Mother. Oh, dear, we've heard the most frightful news about your time in Atomer, city overrun. We are so happy to have you home. Like I said, it's good to see you, Mother. Well, come in. This weather won't do for your delicate condition. Please. And she starts leading you inside. Evelyn will follow like so many times before. You head up the short steps that sort of crest over the top of what you know is like the boiler room and the more servanty quarters that exist down below and head into what would be the second floor but is the main floor of this estate, a third floor above that. There is a light lunch prepared. Of course, all your various allergies, which have been delivered to you over the course of your life, are well taken care of here at lunch. Nothing to offend your delicate stomach, of course. And after that, you are brought to your room for rest. Now, what does a Evelyn Blackwood room look like before she headed off to the finishing school? Like something out of the main spread in the most popular fashion magazine, set up exactly the same way. All the best of the time, laid out as though pre-decorated, like you basically walked into the Ikea and said, yep, I'll take this. Exactly. None of it means anything to her, because she didn't pick out any of it. All, all provided for her. Excellent. Before you are allowed to rest for the evening, the doctor comes in. He gives you the checkup from after being on the road. It's very half-hearted as he has experienced how unnecessary this is over the course of your travels. We now go to Ko in the morning, who arrives at the guild. And Carrie waits eagerly. You can see her kind of peeking behind the acquisitions desk, being manned by Jimmy the Soup. And as you walk in, she goes, oh, excellent, excellent, excellent. Goes through the first door, through the second door, and through the third door it takes to get around to the front. Hi. Carrie Underworld stands before you. She's wearing her coat as per usual, and she's got on her thick dragon hide gloves. Uh, hi, Carrie. Good to see you again. Uh, Anathla, this is Carrie. I think you may have briefly met um, the day we rescued you, but uh, she's a, a co-worker from the guild. She's she's good people. Hi. Oh, we did meet, but and she gives her it's kind of a double class, but giant from these dragon hide gloves in her hands, handshake. Oh, it's it's good to see you. how how you been, how you feeling. I've I've been fine. It, it, wow, good, 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 excellent, good. Uh, to 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 the back. We're we're gonna go to my my, my lab. Uh, how do you feel about blood draws? I'm f fine with them. Uh, and she looks to you, Ko. Oh, kind of makes a face, but is uh, he's letting his wife take charge here. Good, good modern medicine, you know. It's all the rage of we got to make sure the humors are in check and we got to make sure that everything's all set. But of course, blood is full of magic. So we might be able to figure out why uh, why you were accosted by the spirit first of everyone in town. Uh, very exciting stuff. I, I, I don't expect that this will be done today. And uh, well, I, I hope uh, you have patience with the methods that are needed. Um, to the back, please. 
Splendorbelt, out on the farm. Gleepoma comes to you as you all plant your various spuds into the ground. Yeah. Gleepoma in his brilliant blues and pink fishman uh, frills kind of slaunches his way up, kind of doing a shaggy walk as his normal sort of gait. Makes his way over to you and... and ah! And waits eagerly for you. <laughs> Just ah! Just gives you ah! And every time you kind of look away or try to ignore him, he kind of gives a ah! Um... I would uh, say, uh, hey, what is it, Fishman? What uh, you you? How, what are you doing? Are you okay? I find more help if wanted. Uh, these would be in form of additional fishmen. Uh, a frog. Oh. A uh, frogman or just just small frog? Frogman. Uh, My friend from the day you met, uh, he banished too for smelling of people. <laughs> well, where is he now? He hide. I told him you'd be angry if he come. Uh, Unannounced. Yeah. Uh, perhaps I can interview your frog friend, please. I go fetch! I go fetch! Mac Mac! Mac Mac! And he goes running off into the noble hollow woods. His name is Mock Mock? <laughs> Alright. I just like that he waited days to bring this up. Yeah. And in theory, this frog has been just like, any day now. Yeah. They're gonna come get me. They're gonna get me today. Yep. I love it. A, f- a few moments later, a frog does appear. He is more of a toad in the fact that he kind of lacks the neck and his head just sort of goes straight into one curve head down into his shoulders. And those sort of cut off into arms, if you will. And his torso is actually the thin part. Okay. So it kind of looks like a bullet if he stands perfectly straight up. Okay. His mouth kind of just across his whole head. In fact, only by turning his head does the mouth sort of end. So otherwise, like a Pac-Man, he... Kind of flaps as he approaches. <laughs> he has he has on a pair of leather, very uh, kind of uh, eel skin like shorts that sort of tighten up around him, kind of giving him a muffin top that pulls over. He has with him, though, a basic and very rusted hoe, a gardening instrument, about four feet long, and he sort of keeps it over his back as he approaches to you. And okay. gleep him off because ah ah this way this way, and he stands before you. He looks very proud and straight. Uh, what is your name? I'll look at Fishman to see if I can get a translation. <laughs> can you speak the common tongue or uh, perhaps uh, another language I know? <laughs> he knows he speak bullywog. He speak only the bullywog. But I know. I know the bullywog. Well, okay. So we can always use more help here, but he'll have to answer to you, I suppose. You will come to me uh, when uh, when things arise, but for now you are in charge of him. Yes, you can do this with the frog. 
Yes, he, he, he will attend to the vermin, the hard work, and the, um, the fluies. Wait, the what? What is this? The fluies. The, fl- fly, the flies. Oh, fly, yes. There's a big problem, flies. Um, okay. We give him a two-week uh, probation period to prove himself good worker for, for the farm. Ah! And Glebomar turns back to Muckbuck and begins to... Oh, pfft, oh, pfft, <laughs> and speak to him directly and they... Oh, oh, back and forth to each other. Okay. At that... Muck-Muck looks around him and sort of trots off in this kind of wavy arm run as he wiggles his way about the farm and does a full lap around the entire estate. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> lay land. Oh, he is getting lay of land. Ah. I see. No, this is okay. He, uh... It shows uh, what we call an initiative. I'm not sure if there is a word for this in the uh, frog language, but uh, this is good. So you now find yourself with three, well, four if we count Chad the Brad, the Minotaur. <laughs> you find yourself with three mobile employees, Glipoma, Noparopa, and Muckmuck. What sort of jobs do you divvy up to them? Well, um, we would keep Snake Boy on... Uh, running the plow and moving the the, the mule around. Uh, put the frog on uh, sort of constant uh, sort of patrol for bugs, flies, uh, vermin, you know, pests, that sort of stuff. Uh, and then any odd jobs that we may see fit. But for now, that's kind of his thing is, you know, just be on the lookout to keep the place clear. And for Gleepoma... Um, watering existing crops uh, and keeping track of the frog, making you know, being his manager. So I think that'd be everybody's job for now. And if we were to, I'll actually, I'll shoot you a link here. We can kind of start to look at things. Oh, one second, as I write down a little note about no worries that. Uh, but we can start to get a lay of the land here. Your initial your initial farmstead had two very run-down fields, but beyond that, you do own the full, the full furlong, which is basically a long-style acre, and you can expand the farm beyond there. With the help of... <laughs> I need to write down your... Uh, Steve? Was that the name of the no, meal? No, it was... Uh, the Steve is... Or no, Sean. S-H-A-W-N, Sean. yeah. So it's Sean the mule mm-hmm. and Noparopa using the plow. You're able to expand your lands out a bit. And we can kind of see that on the map here. Uh, where would you have moved Chad the Brad out further as you've expanded? So he's always on the edge of the farm or does he stay kind of central? Um, no, I would move him as it expanded. I'd put him more. I'd make him central to whatever the new center was. So as it as it moves out and the radius of the place gets larger, I would I would I'd want to make him. I'd want to give him as much view of everything as possible. So wherever that is, so, and if it means putting him on top of a building, I'll do it. Like, whatever we got to do. So as you start to plow further and further out, you sort of go, you pick him up. He, you know, he's not terribly heavy being a scarecrow and a skull on the end. 
And you and as you walk with him over your shoulder, you know, he gives a Oh, such a great honor to be moved by the master. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's a link there in the um in the Slack if you want to take a look at kind of how your farm is coming together. Now you still have the rundown buildings. The tower that you sleep under, Gleepo Ma has basically sleeps on his back with a reed tied around his foot in the river. Uh, Noparopa has taken up residence unless you assen- assign people. Noparopa sort of takes residence in the rundown remains of the cottage and has piled some of the old wood to create a sort of layer above him. And Muck Muck just walks over to the mud and kind of does a vibrate of sorts. And as he vibrates, he slowly descends into the mud until he's just the head sticking above and then gives a ah as he starts to fall asleep. <laughs> all right. I love it. I love all these so, guys. They're all amazing. So this would basically be kind of our sleeping arrangement like that at the moment. Okay. Great. That's right. Where I, that's exactly where I think everybody should be. Perfect. That's amazing. Also, my look at all these fields, man. Look at that. It's looking good. Hey, you just needed to take mob money. Yeah. Well, he didn't take the mob money. That's true. All I just took is the 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 plow and advice. That's it. The kingdom light and the Paylor's tome of agriculture. Oh right. Which, yeah. the, the month is young. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm really worried about it. Have you uh, investigated the book at all, or is that kind of gone in a pile? Um, no, I would have looked it over, um, like at night in my, you know, trying to rest time or something. Just try to um, get the lay of it, see if it's actually helpful or not. Um, it, I mean, since Paylor is the, you know, kind of over agriculture, I feel like I would have known that anyway. So even though Scott didn't know it, I think. Splendor Belt would have, and he would have, he would see this book as a way to you know, maybe confirm a few things, or just see if it was the you know if it was accurate, or compare contrast, refresh himself on old concepts, that kind of stuff. Well, and the 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 potato planting is something that is very cultural to the half orcs and where you're from. So you've been sort of following your instinct as well as what you were taught in your younger years. Right. But the Paylor Tome of Agriculture is a little more updated, recently updated in the year 153 here. And it discusses all the sort of new technologies that have been invented over in the kingdom. Uh, Shows a couple of magical means of which to use the fields. It shows off the new kingdom light, the metal plow that divides the ground with a blade in front and then the metal hoe in the back that gets dragged along. I'm not sure if that's actually called a hoe, but, you know, that sort of uh, the flipping instrument that then tills the earth as it goes through the ground. It's a rather advanced piece of machinery. Right. That would make sense. And this thing is, like, uh, written by who? Do we know? Uh, This was written by... It's not like the finger of Paylor, but, like, somebody else wrote it, right? It was written by Vorgram Manhurt. Okay. So it's written by a, basically the, a mortal. A person. Yes. Okay. It's, it's not, it's not divinely yeah. invented. So I wouldn't take it as like, you know, scripture or whatever equivalent you would think of it as. There are certainly prayers inside that might favor Paylor and bring his blessing. Mm-hmm. But as a cleric with someone such, so, with such a direct connection, 
there's no nothing that suggests that you should do anything particular on your fields. Okay. Now there is a port of sort of for clerics only section in the back and some advice for druids who are able to summon water. Should water be scarce or unavailable? In fact, one of the things that goes into is that if you use a ditch system to sort of flood your fields, you have a higher chance of experiencing rot or any sort of uh, a blight that might come down because it will wash across the plants as it goes down the row, taking whatever that disease is or uh, fungus and moving it across. So if you fear a blight of any kind, doing a rain from above by magical means is a superior way to water your fields. Okay. Awesome. Well, I will keep it handy as as a you know a reference, um, you know, as needed or whatever. Let's check in with Evelyn Blackwood, who has been staying at home for a couple of days now. Are you doing anything to speed things along, Evelyn, or are you merely sort of riding the uh, riding the tide that and the timings that your parents set? To pass the time, she's writing her friend back in Atomer and just filling it with stories and how bored she is and how she hopes it goes well. You're talking about writing to um, Margaret DuPayton? Yes. Otherwise, attending the various meals, which are well uh, manicured for your imaginary diseases and many ailments. She's very hungry. Does any of that ever come up? Do you or do you just kind of play the part as you always have done? She's just playing the part at the moment. Well, some several days have passed, and you find yourself at a candlelit dinner, which, of course, is not anything special. All the dinners are candlelit. The servants bring out the meals, and your mother seems to be a little excited this evening. And as you make your way through the meals, she sits and grows more and more excited until eventually the dessert is served, and she says, Well, I've, I've, I'm just so excited, I have to tell you now, we have Julian Thomas coming to town with his family. Do you remember Julian? Of the Thomas family? Yes, of the Thomas family. Uh, I know they're wealthy. Yes, very very wealthy indeed. A uh, a large selection of traders, darling. Traders, yes, trade tradesmen. They, they own a lot of tradesmen. We hear, oh dear, we are so happy. We've we've been in talks with them for a long time, you know. I'm sure this new business venture will be wonderful. More than just business, dearie. And your father continues to eat his dessert. Well, we. We have been working, given your condition, on arrangements for you in terms of marriage. Uh, Evelyn will kind of choke on her food a little. <laughs> marriage? Well, dude, we can't take care of you forever, and of course we want only the best for our lovely daughter. The Julian, you've all played when you were very young together. And Julian's always been such a sweet lad. Very, very, very respectable family. A very respectable family indeed. 
Uh, pardon me. I have to go to my room. Oh, shall we, shall we call the doctor, my dear? This no. is all too much. It's very, it's a lot. Uh, I will see you both tomorrow. Oh, oh uh, sleep well and do take care. Yes, we, we'll call the doctor, even though you requested not to. <laughs> Parents are driving me crazy. Right? Oh, my God. Uh, so Evelyn will retire to her bedroom for the night. And she will just stare at the... She won't sleep that night. She will stare at the wall and just think. About 20 minutes later, after you get to the room, there is a knock on your door. Yes? Uh, Evelyn, I was sent... This is Dr. Ripart. I was sent to attend to you. I understand that you may need time. I'm fine... Everything's fine. Of course. Let me know if you need anything. Thank you, Doctor. And the night is spent in contemplation of the wall. Yeah, she gets to know that wallpaper really well. All right. We go back, with still advancing the days, we go back to Co. And Co, you've been sort of, you found this rhythm in the morning where you go down to the guild... You attend Carrie Underworld's various experiments. Blood is drawn often, used in the day, and then she wants more blood the next day. And she even makes sure that she gets you a cookie from the front bar afterwards. Well, uh, Anathala gets the cookie. You get yeah, no cookie. Would I would expect. Uh, after that, you are to head over basically at noon to meet Splendorbelt to attend to the various feral elves that have been brought in by the adventurers from the night. You do so, and then the evening is yours. Yeah, what? I don't know if Ko's uh, getting up to anything particularly interesting in the evening. He's happy to have his family back. He's spending it mostly with them. Yeah, I would be back to the... As boring as it sounds, I'd be back to the farm every day. That'd be a good rhythm. Yeah. He's missed it. So. (laughs) Yeah. When you, as you sort of make your way down through the main drag of town in Atomer, getting to the guild and going to the Temple of Palor afterwards and then heading back up, you've noticed that the entire financial district is slowly just falling into disrepair. You know that each night and day it is is attended by two adventuring parties during the day, two at night. At the actual guild itself, the wood leaguers continue to take small jobs like dealing with light elementals or dealing with wasps in the nearby swamp or dark mantles that may have risen. But for the most part, the silver and bronze quests are being unheeded as this is occupying the majority of their time. And as you head home this evening and walk past the financial district, making that right that takes you up to the markets where your house is in the back, you notice that there is a huge amount of quarried stone that is being gathered across the street. And there are a number of masons all attending to it. There's also starting to dig a ditch that rounds the front of the road or the side of the road here, the main street where the roads cross in Atomer. 
Does it look like uh, reconstruction is starting or something different? With the amount of stones that are being brought in, it doesn't look like they're going to be repairing these buildings. And with the ditch, this is a pretty normal way to make a large wall. Hmm. All right, Cole, make a note of it. But continue about as they. And Splinterbelt, you would walk this path too as you head over to the bridge and then head over that bridge and up into your farmland. So you would notice this construction beginning as well. Does the wall, well, does what looks like possibly they're constructing a wall, does it look like they're trying to block everything and anything out of there? Or just, I don't know, is there any way to tell at this stage of construction, I guess? Not too much. Their main construction, at least focus right now, seems to be on this main street that goes east to west that cuts through the center of the town. Okay. And they're preparing to build a wall that would basically go in front of the governor's mansion, the governor's ballroom, and then up towards the bank and the Withers estate. All right. Well, I'd make a mental note of everything that's going on and, you know, keep an eye on it. The next day, Evelyn, do you do anything of note, or do you continue about the pre-scheduled activities and plans? She'll continue, but she'll be a bit more absent-minded than normal. Kind of keeping a distance. Yeah. So you know in about seven days you're going to have a large dinner with the Thomas family. Okay. Okay. She will prepare for that. How do you prepare? Planning outfits. Overseeing the kitchen. I'm sure her mother is having her practice running a household. Well, not too much. You do help attend to the many guests, all of which, you know, blur together and are all of business and your father's various uh, connections. But as for taking over anything or managing anything too strong, your mother continues to be concerned about your state of health. And as it sort of goes on, it seems that there was no tell of the adventuring life. Uh, Lady Vestal reported you had you removed from the school for health reasons. I... Evelyn will keep mental note of that. She'll write Margaret. She'll ask how Atomer's doing, if it's time to come back yet. She'll sneak some letters to Cohen's Blunderbelt in there. And then otherwise, she'll plan to do the dinner in full and then talk to uh, the young Thomas privately and then talk to her parents. So that's a kind of that's how she's planning her course of attack. The letters. <laughs> How are you getting those out of the house? They're being sent to Margaret. No, I, I, yeah, but how? who's taking them to the, the post and all that sort of thing? The postman. So you would leave the letters downstairs, cause sort of hidden amongst your father's letters that he would give out? Yes, but not hidden, you know? She has no reason to believe her snoopy mother would read her letters because that's never come up before, even though there's probably a high likelihood that that's going on. Let's roll a either sleight of hand or stealth for you.
an eight, true to form. So you awaken one of these mornings and come downstairs a little earlier than normal, as you are prone, even though you are accused of being sickly, uh, to sleeping in a little bit, as is your you know, usual M.O. And as you arrive downstairs at breakfast, you see your mother holding one of your letters up towards the candle and kind of giving it a back and forth. Evelyn will... <laughs> mm. Oh, oh, you're uh, feeling well, I assume, nice and early. May I have my letter, Mother? Of course, I was just wondering, uh, who is this Splendor Belt? Someone Margaret is having conversation with. Uh, a suitor for your friend, then? I wouldn't say a suitor, but certainly someone she's been in conversation with. Very well. It's not, not my place to... Uh, I'm glad you had so many friends at your school. And then Evelyn will put the letter back in the stack and kind of stay in that area of the house until the mail is taken. <laughs> That's the right move. Also not over-explaining yep. it to her. It's like trying to explain what a podcaster is to my mom. Sometimes you just say it's <laughs> internet radio. I get it. You don't want to over-explain, right? Just a person. Yep. Don't worry just about it. Just a person, Mom. The mail goes out, and it's going to be about seven days till those letters arrive. So if you want to think on what those might say directly to Co. and Splendor Belt, they will be delivered at those times. Uh, do you address them to the guild itself to be handed out there, or do you put it to the Splendor Belt farm and the Co. household? She'd address it through the guild. Okay. So, Ko, you continue this daily routine for about now three weeks. The wall begins to be constructed and runs with a great gate right at the front there, facing across the road. As an athlete goes in for these tests, one day Carrie comes to you and she has, once again, the pillow sort of set up on a tray and a sheet over the top of it. Hi, I've invented something. Hi, Carrie. What have you invented? Uh, well, I'm very excited about this. Should we sit down? Uh, do I need to sit down? Well, I, I would hope it's shocking enough. Oh, oh, then by all means. Hi, Anathala. It's good to see you, too. Okay, everybody, this might be a little weird. I know, but know that it's sealed and it won't go bad. So, what I've done here, and she takes off the she takes off the top cover, and on the pillow you see a sort of gold medallion on a chain. The chain is a if you were to wear it, it'd hover around kind of your um your belly button. It's a pretty long chain. But about the size of an orange, there's this gold base, and then on top of this re large red dome kind of crystal. I, uh, so I figured something out. Uh, this here is the crystal that one Grinkeeper, the Defender, I've been told, uh, brought to me, gave to me after you all came out of the dreamscape. Uh, I've used it with, in conjunction with my tests, 
to create a sort of sensory amulet. Uh, that sounds very exciting, but I think you're going to need to explain what exactly a sensory amulet is, does, and why we should be excited. Okay, well, so, um, but what, from what we can tell, your Anathala, excuse me, I'm going to talk about you in third person, so, but sorry, but hang on. So, Anathala's blood is very special. Uh, she is likely a direct descendant of the Dolbluth, the elves who uh, escaped the Kalazar's reign and rose to the, to the, to the above and, you know, built the machines you all found in the mountains, as well as the dungeons that lead down underground. As such, her blood might have been very valuable to the Kalazar in some sort of, like, awakening ritual kind of thing. So I've placed it inside his heart dome here, and it glows whenever a nearby uh, feral elf approaches. Oh, okay, so it's what, detects people under the Kalazar's control? Yeah, basically, yes. Okay, uh, that is... that is pretty neat, I think. I, I, I think so, too. I think it'll be quite valuable. Uh, the, so the... Of course, don't break it, but, yeah, it, this... this... this heart sphere piece that you recovered seems to interact with the Dolbluth bloodline. And as such, it's able to detect the presence of the Kalazar nearby. So is it lit up right now because Anathal is nearby? No. Okay. It's not currently lit. Um, what sort of radius is this thing? How I, close do they need to be? I have no idea. Uh, I, I went to the Temple of Paylor just yesterday and I opened the door real quick and it glue. Glowed. Gland? It gland! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, we're, we're not sure, but in, in the presence of people impacted by the Kalazar, it will glow. Currently, under their control, because I notice it's not glowing now, but technically her blood is still her blood, right? Well, that's the... So she would be the presence of the Dolbluth bloodline. This is this is a activated by her blood, but ultimately the sphere as a piece of the Kalasar is what actually does the glowing. Oh. Uh, I think I understand. Uh, excellent. Well, it's it's yours, um, as I hope your job will be made easier by it. I appreciate it, Carrie. Is, uh, is that going to be all for the test then, or are you going to want to continue to do more tests? Well, the thing is, I think that anything beyond this discovery of her, or the reason for the Kalazar's focus might be a little dangerous, is the thing. We would have to induce some sort of sleep or hypnosis, perhaps, in order to even see where she encountered the Kalazar's presence in the uh, the drone in the first well, place. Well, I think there's probably been enough of that, and Co will kind of give a look over to Anathala to see if she feels the same. I I do feel that it might be dangerous to resubject her to 
the drone that we have, the music box that you provided us, uh, as if his presence is likely still hungry for her presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this is very useful, Carrie, and Co will take the the device. Excellent. I, I hope it helps. I, I know you're being kept busy with all sorts of, you know, still grounded, but I, I know there's all sorts of tasks that keep you keep you going. That that there is. OK, well, I, I, I'm going to go. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Bye. And she gets up with her tray and pillow. Splinterbelt, you got you and Co. Once again, meet up. You begin to work through these elves. Uh, but today, you were brought after your task to that medical bay that's been set up. That was previously housing all the sleeping elves. Now houses a lot of the injured elves from the events of the Bronze Ball. You overseen by Zoltar the Wizen, who leads you into the room. Oh, Mr. Splendervelt, I, uh, the, the efficient, the efficient, always a pleasure. I am very happy that you've uh, performed your tasks three, uh, three weeks in row. Uh, these, uh, unfortunate, uh, folk continue to be plagued by the loss of the voice. After the Kalizad, uh, uh, spoke through them, their, um... Vocal cards uh, were savored and uh, burnt. Uh, well, I can do. I, I can attempt to heal them. Uh, if this is what you are looking for, we uh, whatever you are capable of, we uh, would appreciate one uh, high level such as yourself taking a look at the uh, the several uh, affected. Individuals. Um, I would start. I would find. I'd look for someone who looked particularly ill. Uh, I would point at them, almost like non-verbally, and just like is like this one. I'm kind of asking Zoldar the Wizard nearby. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wh- whichever is it seems best to begin. Uh, we recommend uh, all but uh, Gigashark. He is most uh, he is most shy in his current uh, predicament. Um, I would, I would move over to this first, um, uh, person and I would, uh, touch them lightly and cast cure wounds and see if we can't do something about this. Uh, so you head over to one with a name tag nearby or sort of some medical papers that say Santa Quiro. This is, you might recognize them as the, one of the ballroom waiters of that night who was spoken through by the Kalazar. Okay. You reach out with your divine light and touch them lightly, and the healing power kind of radiates through them. But when it reaches their throat, it stops hard and never sort of penetrates that area. Ugh. Yes, previous experience, too. Uh, we have here, and Zoltar begins to kind of lead you around the room. We have a Gordon Isalor, a diffusion head shift. We have here 
uh, Selena Everbloom, the uh, regional guild director who has uh, spoken through. Uh, Maestro Galante, who you'll remember is the the lead of the band that was playing, who was very first possessed at the Bronze Ball. All right. And here we have um, Kalam Vizana, one uh, giga shark. And you look, and doesn't look like a shark at all anymore. Uh, the large anchor wielding man who gave you the silver test looks like a frail little wood elf sitting in his bed. Oh my. Uh, is he awake? He is. He sits quietly. He's just kind of staring out the window. Uh, he did kind of give a little flinch when he heard his name said, but he's doing his best to ignore your presence at the moment. Um, okay. Well, I won't bother him. I, I, I was going to get curious about the shark transformation, but I, I'm not going to bother him. Um, hmm. Trying to think if there's anything else we can try in here. So it was apparent to me that this thing got kind of stuck throat and higher, and then that's as good as it got. Like, then it sort of just stopped the cure. Yeah, like something was keeping it out, sort of um, blockading it from healing their... Hmm. Can I do a medicine check or something to see if I can understand that? Sure. Uh, who in the room would you like to make the medicine check on? Let's do it on the one I tried it on, where the where the med- where it appeared to stop. Sana Quiro, yeah. the ballroom waiter. Yeah. So you head over to the the half elf female sitting in a bed nearby and perform your medical check. All right. Oh my gosh, it's literally balancing between the eighteen and the two, and it gave me the two. Uh, seven. I'm sorry, nine. Seven's my plus, so nine total. From the outside, it doesn't look like anything's seriously long, possibly darkened, but you're not really sure in this room. Okay. But they seem, you know, to to a seven, all the same. They seem awake. They seem aware. Some of them even seem bored and reading books to themselves. All right, I would say it appears uh, traditional healing is not having an effect, or it's only affecting uh, to a point, and then it's uh, it's backfiring, it's sort of. I don't know why, I can't understand it. Ah, uh, well, as one of the high-level clerics in this uh, city, we look forward to your uh, deducement of the upcoming ailments. I will do what I can to try to figure it out. Very good, very good. Thank you, Mr. The Efficient. And he gives you a clap on the back. All right. I will uh, leave. I will slink my way out of there. We advance now to one very special candlelit dinner. Some eight people fill the room. The Blackwood family of three and the five members of the Thomas family that have been brought into town and sitting across from you. So we have we have the table. We have the two father figures sitting at the end and everyone's kind of lined up. And Evelyn, you have been placed directly across from Julian. Now, Julian seems like a thin, well-built, rather pale fellow. His 
blonde hair is completely slicked back for the evening, but he has kind of a beautiful jerkin on that goes up in high collar, and that sort of ties around in this just ridiculous long scarf style that also kind of penetrates some of his button loops and pops back up and is in the height of fashion at the moment in the kingdom. The dinner proceeds, and multiple courses are shared amongst the family. Business is discussed among the two fathers as they sort of talk across the table, and everyone stays silent during their exchanges, as is customary here. Do you have any conversations with your cross-table companion during this time? Um, how was the journey? How's the weather been? Did you want to make any sort of roll with those? No, it's just polite conversation, non-topics. Very well, indeed, lady. I mean, you know, kind of pats his mouth as he eats with his forks held in the lightest ways possible. That suggests he wields multiple forks, uh, his fork and knife. <laughs> <coughs> I wanted to. I was going to demand immediate more knowledge on what this double fork business was. Right, it's the highest fashion. Double fork in it. Just making uh, pulled pork sandwiches right at the table. <laughs> Cope, you're on your way home, and you pass by the wall being constructed, and it's begun to make its way all the way down to the market, and then turn and start building up the street now. And as you approach your home, you see a letter on the door from the city. Alright. Let's see what this is about. You open it up, and it says that your home is noted to be in a dangerous area, which is soon to be sequestered from the rest of town. As such, they're willing to pay market price for your dwelling. Oh, that's useful. Uh, yeah, that's an avenue Co was already interested in because he already recognized it as a dangerous area and uh, that he also it was living outside of his means. So he's uh, he's gonna, he's going to act on that. As you kind of turn and look around the outside of your home, which is all sort of squared up among all the other homes in this market area, you can see that the ditch has already been kind of carved up towards your residence, and you are, in fact, on the inside of it. Whatever that wall is and whatever it's going to be constructed will soon be encasing your home inside. But with your natural perception, you also note that there's a slight glow from your pocket, a reddish tinge. Hmm. All right. I reach in, take it out, take a look at it. And pull out the amulet you were given several days ago by Carrie, and it's glowing red at the moment. It's always kind of caught the light in odd ways and has always been a rather unnerving piece of jewelry. But this is the first time you've seen it ever really glow with any brilliance, and it does shine quite a bit of light in the area. Uh, Mechanics-wise, it sheds uh, light 
a low light within five feet. So you would be pretty well bathed in it. And this is in the immediate vicinity of my doorstep, right? Exactly. Poe's gonna pull his uh, his goggles down, his <laughs> night vision goggles, dark vision goggles, um, and take a look around, see if he can see anything nearby. Do they go... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Roll a investigation check or perception check. Let's do all oh, both of them are very good. Let's go with a 26 on a perception check. All right. So you sort of do a round about your house here in the evening and the dark vision goggles do some work as the buildings are all kind of breaking up the evening sun that doesn't really shine in this part of town. And as you walk about, you hear a great scraping and a hurried breathing. And as you move about kind of one of the refuse bins, you see a pair of feet, bare feet sticking out and dirt being thrown back. All right, let's uh, creep up on whatever that is and see if we can get a better look. Make a stealth check. That's a 19. You creep quite easily up behind, and you're basically as close as you want to be. You could be right on top of it as you were. So uh, when do you stop? Well, let's be right on top. Let's right. just be standing there like uh, like a big creeper. So you, so you walk <laughs> around the refuse bin, and you kind of look down, and you see an elf wearing tradesmen's clothes, missing their shoes, but they are digging desperately into the mud and ground here in the street, in the back alley. Um, Ko is going to... So assuming this is going to be a feral elf uh, digging around in the refuse bin here, uh, Ko is going to go for a non-lethal strike with a psychic blade sneak attack. All right, go for it. Knock out this uh, this elf. Do you do this a la? Oh man, what's the what's the movie with the cow killing thing? Oh no, Country Twister? for Old Men. Yeah, no Country. You put your hand next to their head and just boom. Yeah, dude. That, that's the, a good uh, point. Air gun thing. Uh, probably for a killing blow, maybe. I think for uh, to manifest the lack of intent to kill, he actually manifests the blade and does like a like a handle whap with it. Oh, okay, like, okay. Ultimately, the same effect, but it's a way to visualize it in his brain to you know restrain the damage. Right. So you're more kind of swiping the psychic energy into them as a knock rather than a stab and mind spike. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Uh, let's see. That's a 27 to hit. And also, I was hidden, so let's just see if we got a nat 20 on this knockout, because why not? Uh, nope. 27 and a 26 to hit. Four. Seven. Plus. Uh, 26. Psychic damage. So that's so you, what thirty-three psychic damage. Yeah. Doing? So so on this on this poor tradesman, 
you unleash a massive amount of psychic energy and smack them in the back of the head with it and it basically and you kind of it, it kind of reverberates around their head the energy of your blade and sort of penetrates in kind of like they're you, when you have one of those rings that's holding your skull still after a very heavy surgery basically yeah. kind of loops in with lightning bolts kind of around their head and they just fall over you do hear a slight whisper escape their mouth as they say hadir they go hadir and bah but the word hadir comes out all right co will uh bend down, retrieve the elf, and is going to drag him off to the Temple of Paylor. As you pick them up, uh, how, how does Ko pick up a pick up a full-size human? Oh, or this elf, is a, in this case. Okay, well, I mean, elves are, you know, spindly. They're, yeah, a little, they're a little lighter. I mean, it's not easy. Ko's not strong, but, you know, he can, he can do it. Um... He uh, he just sort of you know awkwardly gets him and then puts him over the shoulder and then real stiff hoof walks uh, down the down the street, bringing him by. Yeah. At the second they go down, your the amulet that Carrie gave you goes dark and the light stops being shown. Interesting. Okay, so yeah, Ko's gonna. Take them to the the temple of Paylor. Let them know that this is another feral elf. And you do, and you drop them off with one sultan who is manning the door for the night. And now, having seen the um, seen the item in use and and realizing how useful it could be, uh, Ko is actually going to at some point. Uh, have it mounted to one of his uh, gloves. So oh, that it's very just nice. right there on his hand where he can see it easily as he's interacting with people. It's like a big Ben 10 watch. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. So you head to the you can head to any sort of leathersmith or tradesman there in the in the guild area to get that done. Unless you wanted to have it somehow do something special, in which case you might bring in Gruber Lifton. Uh, no, I think just having it done um, by a leather worker is fine. He would want something uh, that he could easily, like a, like a piece of leather that he could strap over the top of it, or it could even be cloth to where if he wanted to hide the light from it, he could with just a move. Sure. But... Uh, Generally speaking, it would just kind of be mounted on one of his gauntlets. I get you, so that you're not unwillingly shedding light everywhere you go. Right. Perfect. Splinterbelt, work on the farm continues. And eventually you receive, on one of your morning trips to the guild, a letter. And the letter says, Evelyn Blackwood, if you would please... Okay, so I'm still stuck at home. It's very boring. Please let me know if anything changes in Atomer. I gotta talk to my parents still. I'm really nervous. It's good. It should be fine, right? Oh, okay. Uh, hopefully see you guys soon. Bye. 
my dear Splendor. <laughs> my dear Splendor Bell, I find all myself... All well on your farm. Yes, Maybe those potatoes, potatoes are ripening now. Um, okay. My takeaway from that letter is that she just sounds kind of miserable and bored. And I wouldn't think too much about it. Because there's very little that I would be able to do for that. So I would. Hmm. Did she remind me? Did she say anything in there about not writing back? No, there was nothing like that mentioned. All right. I'd do a return letter uh, that was really tone deaf. That was just like, I got, I received your letter. I hope, I hope you are well. Uh, perhaps when I see you, you can partake of fresh potato from farm. Uh, yours and Paylor, Crandall, the efficient splendor, splendor belt at the bottom. And then I would pack that up and probably give it to Fishman and just tell him he's in charge of getting my mail off to wherever it needs to go. Ah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I love that even the Fishman recognizes it's not a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> the Glebo spends the next several days using, you know, doing his farm work, doing his watering, but every time anybody rides the path by the farm, he goes, oh, hey, hey, and he goes waving the letter at them as he runs down the street at them. Fantastic. This is exactly what I had hoped. Mal! Mal! <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Let's go ahead and take our break there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this sounds good. Uh, thank you, everybody. We will be back shortly. And uh, go take eight or ten and pee and stuff. And we'll be back with more There Will Be Dungeons right after that. We'll see you in a second. I'm just drooping down like a flower after he was a while. so into it at first and then just completely gone yeah. just, nope that's how that'll go lost, lost interest all right uh bringing it all back online here uh we're back everybody uh kyle it's back to you our good dm man all right several days have passed now evelyn blackwood you have had to attend several dinners as such, as the family is very excited to get uh, get you to know Julian. And on one particular evening, you all do a walk around the Thomas's Garden, which of course is a well-supervised walk. The pathway is lit this evening as the lanterns are all ablaze, and the beautiful garden in the evening air. Uh, still within the city limits, though, so it's rather, you know, tight in a sort of garden inside a wall. But the fathers stand nearby talking business. You hear them mention several words, like, you know, as they grumble to each other, and they talk, talk about the politics of the day, and everyone's, oh yes, of course, the, the head abattoir is in town right now. Is that the Mortis Supreme? Oh, of course, he does come to town from time to time. Have you heard any word of the Equipolitans? Or, of course, are rather busy this one. The Seguinites uh, have no need for such things. And they argue politics back and forth. But uh, you and you and Julian are sort of pushed out into the garden area to do a walk in the evening air. And it's rather quiet as he looks to you, and you both just kind of walk side by side. No hands are suggested for holding. No contact is suggested. And, of course, every lady up beyond the 
politics talking fathers all giggled to themselves as they watch you go about the courtyard. As you walk in silence, you make a slight noise as you step and it's easier to go, um, my lady? Um, I was just pondering the beauty of the evening. Uh, yes. Beautiful evening, isn't it? Um, Sir Thomas, has your, have your parents spoken with you about the purpose of this extended visit? I am well aware of its uh, intentions, yes. What are your thoughts on it? I think it is a good match. The two families joining together for the benefit of the trade network and your father's industrial projects and prospects means much for the Thomas uh, exchange. Yes, yes, all well and good business. Um, Sir Thomas, I thought I should let you know first and in private that I will not be going through with this. I'm sorry. I have no intention of going through with this marriage. This is most of... This is most unheard of and most uh, disappointing. I... I... I do believe that we have known each other many, many years, and uh, our parents have put quite a bit of work into this arrangement. Yes, and it is very unfortunate that it has to end this way, but that's how things are. I see. I'm afraid I will not let my honor be uh, besieged in such a way. All are aware of our upcoming nuptials. Well, that's a shame I wanted to tell you in private so we could figure out a way to break the news. Um, but I see it will have to be done a bit differently. He stops the walk there. Do you continue with Adam? She'll stop with him. There, there must be some sort of misunderstanding. Perhaps we should uh, require more time for, to perhaps get to know each other. I, I know this is all going quite fast for someone in your condition. I don't have a condition. My mother's been lying to you this whole time. And in fact, that makes me wonder what else she's been lying to your family about. That would lead to a very poor match if we married under false pretenses, after all. Uh, my, my lady, you are not well. Uh, I shall call for an attendant to uh, get you to bed. Uh, no, I'm quite well, thank you. And at this point, Evelyn will leave him. As you walk away, as he stands still out in the courtyard, you start walking towards the, the building, and your mother comes running. Lady Blackwood comes down and says, Oh, uh, Ev Evelyn, what, what is the meaning? Julian left all alone. Uh, yes, he did. Mother, I have something to talk with you and father about, privately. Uh, right now? If there's time, but it can wait a little. Perhaps the carriage ride home, dear, would be the best time for such a conversation? Yes, then let's do that on the carriage ride home. Yes, uh, could you attend back to Julian before we make a scene? 
No. And then Evelyn will turn around and go back inside. But Evelyn is feeling most unwell. Um, Lord Blackwood, we shall be attending to home uh, at the moment. Uh, thank you, everyone, for the lovely evening. And she bows and kind of hurries up. Evelyn, Evelyn. Oh, this is this is most of as your dad kind of loads in the car. Well, uh, interrupted during an important conversation with the Thomases. We were um, discussing trade with the Sanguinites. Uh, this is most most disappointing, Evelyn. What, what, what is the meaning of this? The marriage isn't going to happen, Mother, Father. I've realized that Lady Vestal has not been honest with you about what happened. The town was attacked. Yes. And I was kicked out of the finishing school because I've been adventuring. I am a paladin. I am blessed by a god. And I have a love that I need to save. What? What? what, what, what and they sort of look at each other and... My, my dear, you... It's delusions. You've been reading your books again, haven't you? I no love my as... books, but the books have not influenced me. There's no such thing as paladins in our family line. There's, uh, clearly there's been some sort of... Uh, this is all a dream that you've been having. We... This is not a dream, Mother. We shall, fight, we shall fetch the doctor when we receive home, yes. You can fetch to... the doctor all you want, but he's even seen that I've been blessed by a god. It would... And which god is this? Isn't it Lestai? <laughs> <laughs> That's how important the god is. <laughs> yes, Lestai. On your sheets there. By the goddess Lestai. And I've even talked with her. It was a future me. So I might be, coming, be becoming a god. Well, this is... This is most... Let's let's die. The goddess of oh dim oh, and she performs a great faint into Lord Blackwood's arms. Mother, we know you're faking it. Stop it! You're embarrassing yourself. And for the first time, your dad kind of breaks right in front of you, and withholding his mother, who is clearly not actually fainted, he just sort of looks at you. And kind of a pity enters his face. I will continue to stay here until my friends in Atomer call for me. I see. Uh, we must uh, home uh, back to the estate, please. We have things to discuss. Oh, mother, please. Just smell your salts. We're done with this. (laughs) We go to the Splendor Belt farm. Things are going well on the Splendor Belt farm. In fact, so well, we need to roll a nature check. Oh, my. I can definitely perform that. Here you go. (laughs) So close to a natural 28. Maybe things aren't as well as we hoped. <laughs> <laughs> they go great. Great. 
you've been re- you've been reading the book a little bit the uh, the Paylorian book of agriculture, Paylor's Tomb of Agriculture. Yeah, uh, that it is customary and in fact suggested that you have a a barn where you pre-sprout the potatoes. You cut them into segments. Each one has an eye on it, and you let them in darkness with fresh air, much like a closet. Get those weird little extensions coming out of the eyeballs as they start to grow in the room before you place them in the ground. Okay. As you've had no such structure on your land to do so, the potatoes that have been planted so far have been hit and miss. We're talking about an 8 out of 20 here. Mm. Great. Uh, oh, that's bad. Eight good potatoes. Well, the thing is, though, the bad ones can still be replanted. I think is how potatoes work. Um, so I would obviously I would like a better uh, a better yield, but I will uh, instruct my employees and myself be uh, bucketing the bad spuds and holding those for for the next planting. And there are several potatoes. Potatoes only take about 90 days to sprout. So you can kind of start seasons. In fact, you can have about three seasons a year if you really want to in this sort of environment. Yeah, I would, I so would I'd plant them immediately and see if I can't beat the, the weather. Get another one going. Then we will check back in in a few weeks. Is there anything you want to change or do you follow the book's advice and construct that barn? Um, I think I would do that. I would see this as a problem and I would want to construct that barn. Uh, or at the very least, uh, you know, a, a hurried temporary shelter where I can do the very thing we need to do, but then build a barn, or, you know, as we go. I just don't want to waste a lot of time building when I by should the, be planting. Uh, by the end of this season, we're going to be the podcast with the most knowledge on potato farming. <laughs> right? We might just already be. Unintentionally, yeah. we will have experts. We might already be, for all I know. But, uh, but yeah, I would, I would do all of that. But I would try to make do with whatever structures are out there uh, or left or space for, even if it meant my living quarters to do this and then and then uh, build something as we go. The, the cottage or what's left of the cottage on the land could be serviced into one of these barn kind of buildings that provide the shade. You could also add a tool loft on top of it and it would cost you about... 3,500 gold to construct. 1,500. All right, I would I would spend it to construct that. Excellent. Do you purchase the uh, the materials and have them delivered by the Tortolan brothers, or do you have them complete the construction? Um, I'd have them deliver it, and then I would make my employees build it. Because All right. I'm cheap. All right. Let's uh so you've got three employees. Yeah. Uh Chad the Brad without hands will not be participating. <laughs> so three employees. Yeah. Uh Glipoma, Muck Muck, and Noparopa, who is in charge? Um I would put um the f- snake man in charge. He's got the most even though it's militaristic, he's got the most sort of leadership discipline. Um and I would put him in charge of the project. Uh, would know the most about what it needed to be. He also understands me the best, I think. And then it would be his job to uh, get everyone in line to do what they had to do. So you confront Noparopa to perform this deed. Yeah. And he immediately, with a sort of fire in his snake eyes, and how does a barn help save the princess? 
um, I would explain, just as I explained before, this process of getting everything up and running is his ticket to the next stage, which is to do the, the, the princess saving. And that this will get us there quicker, not slower, but faster. As you do actually believe this. I do. You may roll deception or persuasion. I'll do persuasion. Uh, that'd be an 18. All right. Oof. He is convinced. The barn shall serve to save the princess and feed her on her return. This is a most noble effort. I applaud you. Your crown shall be beautiful. I shall roll now with advantage. <laughs> <laughs> so he has at that barn with a 19 out of 20. Over the next week, he constructs you a beautiful, beautiful barn with with a great kind of uh, of a cross-section ceiling going up in the kind of that Viking X on the front, except for both sides, he's carved into snake heads. Okay. All right. I would be very pleased with those results. It's fine. Snake heads are fine. As the barn is being constructed, one day you are out in the field and working, Gleepoma watering the the newly sprouted potatoes and let's roll that nature check okay oh please it's gotta be good eventually right just the law of averages yeah there we go yeah i just have no bonus to it so it sucks what uh, 18 did you say Yeah, 18 excellent excellent beautiful little sprouts popping out of the ground the potatoes all seem to have taken root well and you're out there in the fields with Gleepomon when Muck Muck gives you a from the side. Okay. What, 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 what is it? He brings his hand around, kind of pointing at you with all his sort of uh, froggy, his grandma arms. He's got big old kind of like saggy, saggy grandma frog arms. Okay. <laughs> and he points at you and then brings it around and points out to the noble hollow. Okay. Do I discern what the heck he's talking about? As you look out into the old, dilapidated, rotten trees that make up the Noble Hollow beyond the Splendor Belt Farms, you see a figure standing there. Okay. And from this distance, he appears to be perhaps naked? Okay. Hmm. I'll get a little closer, I guess, to see. Scooch up. <laughs> I you kind of walk up yeah. to the top of your lands and put your hand over your eyes and kind of look out in the distance. And the figure begins to wave his hands in two big circles in front of him. Okay. Like he's kind of making a, a an infinity, a figure eight out of his two hands. Is he naked? You can't really tell from this distance. Whatever, he, he has very sharp hit bones, and he's very thin-looking. Um, Am I within shouting distance? I mean, just a shout's a shout, and it, uh, this guy would be currently 120 feet away from you. Oh, that's pretty st- far still. Um, well, I would try that. I'd go, uh, Mace is out, first of all. Mace is with faces out to the side, and I would go... 
Uh, excuse me, who is this? Who are you? His hands kind of go around and they begin, in the air you see this kind of trail of purple begin to appear. And you hear a, Duh! His blasts fly at you out of his hands. Make a dexterity saving throw. Oh, my lord. Oh, man. I don't like this. Negative one to that. A <laughs> one. Oh, <laughs> well, no. I, have a roll, I rolled a two. I got a one. You were too distracted by the nudity. <laughs> you couldn't tell, right? Trying to see if it was Waglin there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Saw his wiener and everything went out the door. Three bolts fly from his hands in these long trails, and they kind of spiral together and hit you heavy in the chest for 15 points of force damage. Damn. Okay. Um, all right. He then kind of drops his arms out of this figure, and they sort of wave behind him slightly as he begins to run sideways, diagonally towards the farm. Okay, so he's not retreating. No, he's running at you, but he's sort of heading towards the river as he does it. Okay. In that case, um... It would be your turn. Yeah, it's, we're in turn order, right? Correct. Um... How far is he from me now? In that run? He would he would be 80 feet away from you. Okay. Oh, I need to get into range. Um, I would like to do movement that will get me within... Mm, let's see. How close does it have to be? 60 feet. Of the, okay, he's uh, 80 feet away. You have a movement speed of 30, so you wouldn't be able to make it quite the 60 feet yet. So is he running from me? He's running at you and kind of diagonal. So currently 80 feet out from you. So if I ran... If I ran... I just need to get within 60 feet of him? Oh, oh, oh yeah, 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 of course. Because, yeah. yeah, 30 feet. Yeah, you'd so be able 20, to do that with So really just bonus. need to cross 20 feet or so. Correct. Um, I would do that. And then I would issue the cleric spell command. And my attempt here would to create or make him um, fall prone and grovel. Okay. Uh, by doing so. So I need you to, let's see, I forgot which this what this is. Um, wisdom 16 saving throw, please. All right. I got a 19. Shit. Well, you, you, you avoided my spell. Um, Again, distracted by nudity. <laughs> I'm not allowed to do a uh, ranged attack with either mace, am I? I can't throw one, or can I? You can You can throw them, but your action has been spent. You you do have a bonus action available, though, if you wanted to summon, such as your spectral weapon. Oh, you know what? Yeah, that's a good idea. I'm actually going to do that. My spiritual weapon's going to... We're going to pop that. Um, But it can't attack till the next turn, or can it do it now? I think it might be immediate. Let's take a look. Uh, Yeah, it gets to take an attack when it appears. Does it? John would know. You you always have that damn weapon. Well, I, I had diplomacy, but it's... Similar, same very thing. Similar. Yeah, yeah. Range, range, sixty feet. So you'd be perfect there, and you'd be able to make an attack immediately with the summoned weapon. All right. So out comes another uh, spiritual mace with my face, and uh, not my face, Crandall's Splinterbelt's face. Um, and I'm now going to uh, roll for hit, 
which will... <sighs> a natural one. I, I like one. the idea that the spectral mace has your face on. Yeah. <laughs> Some man he's never seen before. <laughs> uh, I rolled a natty one, but it's a nine total. The mace just swings at the air as he runs and continues his run diagonal this to you. This guy's got an incredible dong. Yeah, it's so distracting and nothing rolls well anymore. It distracted a spiritual weapon of all things. <laughs> With space on um, Alright, I'm... I guess that's my turn. That's the best I can get for this run. Frick. Oh, I gotta... I forgot to cast these and get them on my sheet. Hold on. Guidance. Yeah, make sure. I think your your sheet's all cleaned up from a long rest, so you're good there. Yeah. Okay. So um, you're taking 15 force damage so far. Yep. He m- makes a. St- he suddenly kind of makes a stop. His very kind of thin and bony feet sort of slide in the mud outside oh. of your farm, and he raises his hands up, and they sort of summon forth the same energy, and he plants them into a, into the ground. At this distance. His sunken eyes, his sunken cheeks, everything is just kind of like he's been vacuum sealed to himself. And he's Ken dolling. There's nothing down there. <laughs> oh, well, no wonder he was so distracted. There you go. And he yeah. places his hands deep into the soil and goes, For the master! And swarming through the ground comes these black tentrils that explode up near you. Make a deck saving throw. Okay, I can do that. With a negative one, even. But he was going to attack the farm. I was like, man, he truly wants to hurt Splendor Belt. So 17 bad. this time. That's better. Except your hesitation scares me. No, actually, you succeeded. So I'm making sure oh, good. what happens next. Oh, good. So all around you, this kind of darkness, this tenderly darkness explodes up. And you can feel the chill of it. But as you are a folk of the mountains, you glance it off easily and kind of dodge out of this darkness that would otherwise be blocking your vision. Okay. Uh, in a very kind of cinematic way, you kind of push through it and end up outside the zone as a free action, having dodged the attack. And there's this great pile of blight and cold beneath you, and you can hear the crinkle and crack of the potato plants you were standing near. Okay. But it's your turn. All right, and I am now how far from him? You would now be 40 feet within him. 40 feet within his distance, so... Um... Buh. I don't want to do that again. I'm going to try it again. Um, we're going to attempt for... Or we're going to attempt another command. Uh, but this time I'm going to do it at level... Let's see, does it improve my chances against... No, it's still Wisdom 16. Yeah, there's no advantage to that. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and do... Or is there? Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. Hold on. Okay. So, Wisdom 16. Using a spell slot of second or higher, you can... One additional creature. I don't care about that. Okay. Yeah. I'll just do it at the at level one. So, uh, command again. I'm going to try to get him to grovel. Here comes the. Oh, yeah. Do me a 16. Wisdom 16. I have failed oh, with a 13. Thank goodness. All right. You are commanded. Let me cast it. Uh, it's one word, which is. Uh, 
what would it be for Crandall? Would it would be uh, um, halt? I'd say <laughs> I don't. I can't think of a better word. And uh, you have to grovel. You fall prone, and that ends your turn. Um, or sorry, that ends your turn. Uh, so you're no. Oh, I'm sorry. Your turn will be falling and groveling. Right. Um, it's basically a skip turn. In my case, can I do this? It's now successful. You must grovel, but also I want to attack with that sword again. Yes, okay. absolutely. All right. So I'm gonna so grovel successful. That'll be your your next turn, and then it'll give me a chance to do something else while we're here. Uh, we'll attack with the spiritual weapon. Does it have advantage if he's? Does it say if he's gone prone? Um, oh, it is prone. Yes, he is prone. You are prone. And this would be a flying but melee attack from the weapon. Right. So So advantage. So advantage, right? Okay. So here goes. Come on, baby. All right. First roll was not great. It was, oh, no, it was okay. It was a 17. And the second roll, get out of there. It's an 18, so 18. So... He already had his hands in the ground. This this yeah. vacuum sealed figure, as it sent forth the the icy tendrils that it shot at you. So you command him to halt. Was it? Was it? Does that Splinterbelt's phrase? Yeah, halt, halt. And so he already goes stiff, and then on the back of the head comes down the mace that gives a couple flips and then smacks him as his head just slams into the mud that he's been standing in. And now that he's completely just like belly flopped in the mud, the Hulk hits him and he kind of, and this energy from above pushes him down and he embeds in it wild, wildy coyote style about a foot into the mud. Nice. It'd be um, your turn again. It would be. Oh, I never did uh, damage for that roll for the weapon. Yeah. Uh, let me give you that. That'd be eight points of piercing damage. Sorry, bludgeoning. And uh, okay, now my turn. Um, I really want to know what he's doing here. Hold on a second. Oh, I can't do that, but that's bad. All right. Um, I'm gonna run up to him and double mace him. All right. So let's do, uh, let's give him the maces and the faces. Here we go. First swing. So this is a, uh, I'm dual wielding here. So I get both of these. First one is a 15 to hit. That is a hit. All right. Damage on that will be six bludgeoning. And the other mace. Hold on. 19 to hit, which sounds like it's hit. And that's a hit. Four damage on that one. Also bludgeoning. Are these all to the head or where are you hitting? Uh, I would go for the head, yeah. We're, we're looking for maximum. De- uh, what's the word? Not decapitation. Uh, de- head smashing. Yeah, or D, de- whatever. Decommissioning. Pancaking. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. I'm putting him out of commission the best I can. So with a flying mace hitting him in the head, and you go, you're kind of you know Donkey Kong drumming his his head (laughs) into the ground and the mud. 
Yeah. <laughs> that would be another turn, and you get another bonus action, too. Oh, right. Um, let's do the sword again. Uh, hold on one moment, please. Wrong panel. Here we go. Uh, the roll on the weapon is a 20. Not natural. Not hit. And the damage will be... Oh, that's as good as it gets almost. Yeah, 11. Nice. Bludging. Man, so many hammers. It's a lot. <laughs> Triple threat. So bam, 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 all kind of driving him into the into the mud. Uh, he attempts to push up against your, your figure standing above him. I'm going to make a strength check of five. Well, beat a five for me. Okay, I can do that. Strength check, you said? Yes. Am I rolling one? I'm rolling a strength yep. check. Okay. Uh, 16. 16. Yeah. So unless we, unless you stop your assault, you basically overpowered this figure into the mud. And you can see it sloshing about its face embedded in the mud outside your lands there on the edge, that corrupted land on the Noble Hollow. It'd be your turn again. Okay. Before I... So I have the sense that this is going to be a final blow if I keep hammering this dude. Likely. Okay. Can I count a asking a question as a bonus action or even an action? Yeah. Okay. So I would say... Uh, state your business here or suffer pain of death now or something to that effect. Do you give him a moment to react or do you keep pounding? I let him react. <laughs> this might be bad. <laughs> Ask him a question, pound him anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you here? Bam! <laughs> Ask I, knew a, bam. <laughs> I knew a certain D&D group that was very good at that. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, way, the heroes of the waste. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> I forgot about that. We were kind with our captives. Mm-hmm. His, in the moment break, his head turns like an owl's full 180 up towards you. And you see on his head a small crest across a circlet. You've seen this symbol before, a golden bat head. The symbol of the Kalazar that you saw in that dream. And his mouth just kind of opens wide. Teeth are missing. Inside, it's just dry and vacant. And you realize that the voice you were hearing, the common, the English, was all in your head. The voice actually coming from him are the dark whispers. Now I need you to restate your question because I've forgotten it. Uh, It was just, (laughs) uh, state your business here or suffer death. And in your mind, you hear high reward for the slaying of one splendor belt. An assassin. Oh, boy. They want with me. Um, somebody doesn't like me controlling the potato production. Um, Roll. <laughs> that's a great assumption. Roll the good a initiative real hard. Yeah, no kidding. Initiative, you said? Initiative. Oh, shit. Terrible. Damn it. Seven. You beat me. Oh, really? 
<laughs> you see his hands kind of like our owl switch he did, and the and the joints bend backwards, and he sort of regains use of his hands, even though his chest would be down in the mud, and he begins summoning forth another spell, moving his fingers, and, and they all kind of click, like my ankles do when I just get out of bed. Like they all kind of go about. But you get the initiative on him in okay. your first move. Then I'm going to do uh, some swift face mace business. Uh, first off, a uh, ooh, a nine to hit for the first one. Miss. Okay, whiff. I whiff that one. Second one, uh, clear it. There we go. Twelve is a miss. Damn it. All right, and then spiritual wait, weapon. Wait, whoa, whoa, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Advantage on both these because oh, he's prone still. Oh, right, he's still prone. Thank you. Gosh yeah. dang it. I never think so of So reroll things. both, basically. All right, so the first one will be a 15. That's a hit. Okay. Uh, hold on. Let me do damage. Damage will be... Get out of here, thing. Why? What? Okay. Uh, six, bludgeoning. Second hit roll. 12 that's a miss right that's a miss so or that one's my second roll for the same thing i missed okay so that's a miss even with advantage and then um the the uh my my thing my unit my sword <laughs> your summoned mace spectral my summoned mace. mace yeah that's what i was trying to say uh that rolls a 19 that sounds like a hit that's a hit and damage an 11 again. So you swing down your mace, miss with the other, but much like the nail for the hammer, the uh, the spectral mace goes and then slams the back of your own mace already connected on his face. And it just poof, poof and <laughs> dust explodes at his ears as his head collapses and tiny spiders scramble out of his head. Awesome. So he was a giant robot controlled by spiders. Yep. There's something. Logically, that's the only possibility. Exactly. That's what I'm coming up with. Yep. Some hideous thing for sure. Okay. Spiders are trying to assassinate us. They've sent human robots. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I like the idea that it's all just, you know, they're in some distance. What should we do, Dad? We didn't take the deal. <laughs> send, the, send the spider robot back. <laughs> Uh, Make sure this one's naked. Yeah. No, no. no. Spider robots. <laughs> All right. Well, I will. I will be very concerned about this, and um, I would now. I, I assume with combat over, I can do a little uh, poking around here, see if I can figure something out about this thing. Like, I don't know. Is it wearing anything? Does it have anything on it? I guess it's naked. Roll a investigation check. Okay. I can definitely do that. That would be a 13. 13? You look over this very bony and very tight body. The As you're looking at the back here, you see each kind of little node of the spine sticks out. There are several things, though, that seem odd outside of it being, you know, rather dehydrated and now very dusty. A roll a medicine check. Sure. That's a high one for me. 13. Well, it doesn't take a lot of medicine to notice that there are several incisions made throughout the body. 
In fact, it seems that uh, his nasal cavity has been widened by some sort of tool. And now looking inside the head, the brain must have been missing. There are also several incisions throughout the chest and the abdomen. And as you look the body over, you notice that all the internal organs have been removed. Huh. Do I have the sense that this was controlled by something and not under its own power? It seems, uh, the, the marks on it seem very much like surgery, that they were done intentionally and would have been done at angles that are likely incapable by the figure who was having the procedure done. Hmm. Okay. If this was the modern day, I would take phone pictures, send them to my two friends and have them say, what do you guys think of this? But because that's not where we live in this world... Um, I think I would throw him over my back and take him into town and throw him on the floor of the guild and say what is this yeah that's what I'd do let's play a little bit of catch up with some of our other companions okay. here Co, you take the feral elf down to the catacombs and the next day you show up to perform your usual duties and the report reaches you that several hours later that elf man awoke and he banged on the door to be let out in full control of his factories and faculties hmm I think I would go uh, hearing that I would go present that information to Carrie. So you head to the guild and request an audience with Carrie, who is more than happy to meet you. And she she leans out from behind the door. Is this secret or where are we talking? Uh, your office. My office. Okay. Door opens and you're led back to her office. And you see many, many vials of what look like blood around the room. Oh, don't mind. We're just trying other things. Got a oh. surplus. A surplus. Is this we, all my wife's blood? We did it daily. It's not a big deal. Some of it's other people's. Carrie, surplus suggests it was unnecessary at times. No, that the, the more like when yeah, surplus. Um, well then, uh, what was um saving off hunger? Um, like um, reserve um, bounty. Uh huh. Okay. What, what, what was it I, you wanted to tell me? I need to talk to you about this thing. He shows the he shows the item that it's now in the glove. Something weird is going on with this. So the other night, it lit up just like you said it would, and sure enough, I found an elf digging in the ground that I assumed was one of the feral elves that had been running around. So I knocked them out took them to the temple but this morning they were fine walking around has to be let out no issues whatsoever oh that well that would track what do you mean that would track that's how does that track well when you when you freed broadside of his condition that was done via dagger insertion 
Wait a minute, you're telling me we're doing all this casting cure and I could really just be knocking these people out and it would be fine? Well, I figured you knew. I just, I, but in, you know, of course, one's a bit a little more violent and I thought you were just a sensitive type. Well, I could knock people out for days. I can only do so many of these uh, mental adventures per day. I mean, one is definitely more peaceful. And I I would think that if we were at a certain caliber of control, we would likely see a result otherwise. Okay. So... I suppose that's good to know. Um, okay, I, I guess I have a better idea of what to expect then. Do you think it's best if I run into anybody else and I knock them out that we still take them to the temple just in case? It's probably not a bad idea. I mean, if we're talking, you know, levels of influence like we saw in Anathala, I doubt there would be a... Uh, pleasant awakening for the individual or any sort of awakening at all. Uh, after all, these are a different type. Uh, we've seen them moving and in action much like Broadside was moving and performing actions. Uh, your your wife's condition was completely uh, comatose which of course is uh, to note because elves don't sleep much or at all uh, depending on their bloodline. Uh, okay. Well, thank you. The The device seems to be working, then. Excellent. Excellent. Let me know if, uh, if there's anything, you, like, if you if you think of something else it should do. We could always add more enchantments to it and improve. I mean, it would be helpful if it could actually point me in the direction of whoever the individual is. Like a compass? Yeah. Oh, that'd be interesting. Like, maybe instead of a whole big glow, maybe it just glows in a line in the direction of whatever it's detecting. Oh, like a like a discern direction spell. I believe we would need to find a druid to do that. Uh, do you know any? Any druids? Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, we need a druid. There's no druids in the guild? Well, they they don't really sign up for this kind of work. They like to keep to the woods. They're often really weird, raising plants, being all natural. Uh-huh. Yeah, ever meet anyone like that? I mean, we met... Uh, we met a strange little person out on one of our adventures that might be able to do something, but... Can't remember his name or well, what the could, mission we, was. We could bring him in. We could do. We could do that. Uh, you want to? Did you want to try to find him? I suppose we could. Yeah, I could go. I could go see if I could track him down, if he would be willing. Uh, oh, okay. Yes. He didn't yes. die, right? No, he he did not die. Okay. <laughs> At least not to your knowledge. That was one Virgil Strix, also known as Veggie Sticks. Veggie Sticks. There it is. Veggie Sticks. 
So Veggie Sticks lives somewhere out in the forests of Atomer to the west. All right. Well, maybe we go on a... thing is, we don't have anything else to do. Maybe go on a little adventure to see if we can talk Veggie Sticks into coming into the guild. All right. All right. That sounds like a nice uh, personal quest to be on. Evelyn Blackwood. Some time has passed. You were brought back to the house and you have been under a sort of, well, a proposed house arrest as you are to deal with your ailment that seems to be afflicting you. Um, she's writing to the guild directly now through her notes to Margaret to see if they're done being grounded yet. Some time passes and you do receive a letter back. Uh, this one written directly by Zoltan, Zoldar the Wizened. And it, it reads, a Good evening. Uh, happy receiving your letters. I am very uh, displeased to inform that until our investigation of Cassius is complete, uh, the Delver shall be grounded and without missions. Thank you for writing. A pleasure. Signed, Zoltar the Wizened. Um, <laughs> his accent's amazing. Um, so at this point that she's in confinement and stuff, she's pretty furious. She figured her parents wouldn't listen to her. But she's going to stay and see if she can possibly convince them until it's time to go back. But she's, she's very upset that Cassius is under investigation. So she's going to start writing hero stories and sending them to Margaret and telling Margaret to paste them across town. And what do these hero stories suggest? What are they about? What's a hero story to uh, you? A hero story, the the adventures that her and Cohen Splunderbelt went on, but, you know, instead of their names, they've got uh, monikers. And maybe not one shot, or the ones that they have now, but, like, the shadow and... Uh, <laughs> the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what's your name? What's your princess, name in this? Princess. Princess, okay. <laughs> so the adventures of these three, um, funded by the guild and led by Cassius and how okay. it kept the townspeople safe and all of the horrors that they could have faced and that Cassius is in trouble now, and the town needs to rise up and defend his honor the way he's helped defend their livelihoods. Okay, all right. Let's do a roll for these stories that you're sending out. Hmm. It could just be a charisma check to write them, but if you're trying to convince the populace of something, it might be a persuasion. Uh, you could also write them in the style of something, so we could do a history check instead, because you're emulating a historical... <laughs> she can't emulate anything. We're uh, uh, okay. Let's go with the persuasion. Okay, let's make a persuasion. 
<laughs> I know you're going to need to check it, but it's a natural 20. <laughs> Fabulous. Perfect. Yes, it is. We go back now and rejoin the timeline. Splendorbell, you make your way down the street, hauling a body on your back. Did you, uh, by chance, remember to put on your silver badge before you walk through town with a, a dried-out corpse on your back? I would have, yes. Okay. So there's a little bit of like, oh my, people eye your silver badge and kind of try to look the other way. After all, there has been a number of monster sightings throughout the town in recent weeks. You make your way down that main street over the bridge and make your way past the wall, which is growing above six feet, eight feet high as it continues to be constructed. There's a large gate being made and in the middle you can see them affixing a sigil of the guild that's going to be put right in the middle. You also see that they're erecting a number of spikes where the wall has reached the eight feet high. So the whole thing kind of rings the financial district. There's also a sort of clearing. They have moved aside to your left across the street from this great wall. A They've moved aside some of the market carts and the more uh, mundane buildings, deconstructed them, and they're beginning to build a sort of stage in this area. And as you walk through the streets and past the market, you notice a lot of people in town that seem well-equipped, as though adventurers are beginning to fill up here in town. The population grows. But you make your way down to the guild all the same. Uh, as you walk, you notice a lot, a bunch of papers uh, posted around, but you pay them no mind, and you reach the guild. Did I, I mean, did the, hmm, okay. Yeah, that's, I would have, I'd be pretty focused on getting there. So you arrive at the guild with this, with this crushed head figure on your back, and you said you were going to slam it down on the floor? Yeah, I'm just going to just plop it on the floor, not in a mean, like, loud way, or, or not, mean's not the word I'm looking for, but not in like a, not like a, what the hell, like, not like that. It would just be like, thump, and go, may I please speak to someone in, in some sort of authority, please? And that'd be it. Helenar clear stove behind the desk. Oh, oh Mr. Splendorbelta, what is, is this? Uh, his uh, creature came to Potato Farm today, tried to kill me, and uh, I would assume my my uh, my employees and to destroy everything. I don't know what this is. This is some sort of uh, drone-type creature thing. Someone is out to get me, and... It admitted as such, and I'm, I demand we we look into it. Perhaps this is a creature you have on your quest board. Perhaps you've never heard of it before. Whatever it is, uh, this seems like it is both concern to me and to the greater town and to the guild. Oh well, um, let us let us get this off the floor before we uh, disturb the wood leaguers who are trying to learn about rats laying in the back. Uh, come this way. We will go see Carrie immediately. Okay, I'll, I'll follow her. As you pass down through the sort of tight five-foot-wide hall, you pass Zoldar the Wizard and gives a, oh, well, uh, good luck with that. And you head to the back door and carries there. Hey, West Splendor Bell. This is a, this is a, a treat. What is this being? Uh, I don't know. I'm looking for help to find out what this is. Okay, okay. Well, allow me to, um, and she grabs her goggles off the shelf and sort of clicks down a couple of lenses. Take a look here. We have, you broke his neck. Uh, 
you twisted his wrists around. You do all this? Yes, he uh, he attacked without provocation. There was no time to uh, do much else. He was very, very insistent on just attacking me and killing me. Sure, you smashed his head, and I can see that. Um, well, he's missing his brain and most of his organs. This is a um, well, you know, I, I'm not really sure. Uh, this is. I have no idea. It's all it's all sealed down there. Who knows what was once. But uh, we, what we got here is is a uh, is an elf person who's been dehydrated. An elf. This was an elf. This was well, once an elf. Uh, you see the cartilage, much as the nose is, is missing at the moment. The cartilage uh, uh, tends to fall off, so the immediate identification is understandable that it would. Uh, pass your judgment. Uh, okay, well, in this case, uh, and for a hot second, I would just make sure this isn't Ko's wife or something. You know what I mean? Like, I'd have this feeling of like, oh, what if this is, what if these these people were curing and... and what if this is the one elf I know? <laughs> <laughs> like more, more of a feeling like this stuff we're doing to try to help them all. Maybe we're making it worse. Maybe we're we're part of our, you know, our lifting of curses is creating curses. Like there's all sorts of stuff running through my mind. So I would, I would, I would look a little panicked at that and just, and then calm down and realize, well, no, this is just some, you know, husk of a dead elf. Yeah, this takes this this sort of uh, process. Otherwise known as um, mummification, it takes thousands of years, hundreds of years to take place in a dry place. Well, this creature, uh, this being, was attacking me not an hour ago. Yeah, well, it must have gotten up and been upset about something. Did it? Did it mention anything? <laughs> no, it had. Well, it said it came to kill me. This is it. And there oh, were congratulations! St- strange sounds and whispers I have heard before, but I don't oh, uh, know what they mean. Well, you must have made it angry. Uh, you've been busy. You've done a lot. Um, can you think of anything particular you've done to the? Well, anything you've done to an undead lord recently? I mean, no, other than like I mean, bringing his bride to be. No, I don't think so. Uh, you you did that. I was I was here when you did that. Wait. Oh yeah, I did do that. <laughs> I forgot I did that. <laughs> um. Okay, but what is point? Like, uh, you're saying, oh, now it is justified. Like, what are you saying? I'm not saying. I'm not, I'm not saying it should have happened. I'm just. I'm merely communicating that if I was a dark lord of the Underdark and you had stolen my bride, I might send, like, an evil assassin after you from time well, to time. this is what this happened, then. This is a good lead. It is now your problem, and I will storm out of there. Oh, now, if this is for me? Thanks? Yeah, it's yours now to deal with. Hope I don't reconstitute it. <laughs> As the door closes. All right. I will leave and I will be frustrated. And you head back to the farm? Yeah, I'll go back to the farm, make sure everything's still held down and doing okay. After all this. Blackwood, it's night. You've spent another frustrating day in your in your parents' um, 
capture, as it were, at the moment. Uh, you receive repeat requests for a, a talk and audience with Julian. All through your door. She would grant the request. He is brought in, though the door is left wide open and you can see your mother kind of watching from down the hall. I've come one last time to regain my family's request and my own honor in this moment. I understand that one as innocent as yourself might be a little intimidated by something as arranged as this, so I have come to perform what is customary, perhaps, to those of lesser birth. And he very awkwardly, with his socks pulled up over his, you know, his very intricate pants and his nice buckled shoes, gets awkwardly down on one knee. <laughs> Evelyn Blackwood, will you confirm the arrangement with which we have been request and proceed with our marriage? One as simple as I couldn't possibly understand what's going on in this moment. Oh, me. And then she'll throw her hand on her forehead and kind of stumble back and sit on her bed. <laughs> Are, is this a performance? Are you attempting to convince him that you have become overcome? It's towing the line. She's not really trying to hide it, but Did you, you want know, to add if any it role works. To it? Uh, yeah, let's do a performance. Okay. Find out how dumb he is. Find out how good his rolls are. <laughs> 16. <laughs> the lady is unwell. The lady is unwell. I, I, I send for the doctor. I have... Oh. Sir Thomas, I... I just... I can't see this working. Someone with such a bright and rich future as yours shouldn't be burdened with the constant bills and expenses that I would take. I don't even know if I could provide you with an heir. And then she'll like take a hanky out of her sleeve and bite it. <laughs> Roll a deception. You know what's worse than a an undead elf uh, mummy? <laughs> this. This is worse. <laughs> I feel bad for for Grinkeeper. Anyway. A six. Uh, let us get the doctor then. And Dr. Ripart, you know, on his cane kind of comes around the corner. Thomas! And- Thomas, please! And she'll run at him and fake cry and like grab his arm and go down on her knees. Please, I'm begging you, don't burden yourself with me. You are better than this. He pulls his hands up. He's, he's, she is overcome. I must, I must away. And as he, as he turns around, he, he stops by your father for a moment and they have a very quiet talk. Would you like to make a perception check to hear? Yes. <laughs> and 11. You said she could be. And you don't hear what's been said and he storms out. Dr. Ripout bends down. My lady, are you well? I think so. Thank you, doctor. And she'll take his hand and uh, accept his help up. Let us to your bed, then. Yes. Father, what did Thomas say? 
Thomas is most disappointed in you. I would you, be too. You suggested that you would be, rather delicate manner, but you suggested you'd be unable to give him an heir. Evelyn will bite her hanky. Father, you know I'm ill of health. <laughs> well, the, the arrangement was that the, the families would be joined by a child. This is far beyond me. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Father. I never meant to be so weak. We paid top for that school. That school was supposed to shape you up into a lady. I find that you must... You shall remain here until you have come to your senses. I will inform your mother that your meals will be delivered to you by Dr. Rippart until you are well. Oh! Yes, don't take that tone with me. I... <laughs> You uh, had a duty to perform as the only daughter of this household, and we will see it fit. Oh! <laughs> She's ushered into her room. That night, having received your meal and your, you know, your gluten-free biscuits <laughs> for, for your many ailments. Gluten-free cures it all. <laughs> I don't know about gluten, but... You hear a kind of crackling outside your window, your bedroom window. A great bending, like of iron bars. She will look and see. You pull aside the drape slightly, and you see that your entire home is kind of circled in these iron suns that have been constructed. And as you watch, the ones, the three immediately outside your window kind of fold in on themselves like dying sunflowers and kind of collapse and crush inwards. Evelyn's going to keep watching, but she's going to start. Uh, so what she'll do is she'll run, go get her bag and run back to the window and start pulling her stuff out. You run over to your bag and you kind of go over to the bed, start shaking out the stuff of the bag of holding, and it just starts and pouring all your adventuring gear out in a pile. And as it does, the turn latch on the window gives a and twists around, and the window slowly blows open. Uh, Evelyn, she doesn't have time to put on her armor, so she'll she will grab her hammer and she will be ready to go. Do you stand immediately where you are, or do you move to somewhere in the room? Um, she'll back up a little so that there's space for whatever it is to land in the room if it needs to. So you back up against the wall, and you've got your hammer kind of held out in front of you. And in through the window flies a man with long black hair and a turned-up mustache, and he gives a great... As he looks around, baring his reddened teeth to the night sky. I no. smell innocent blood. What are you? Ah, to me. <laughs> he make a wisdom saving throw. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Okay, not too bad. A 17. Is this plus your advantages as well that you have? You uh, have I think uh, I got that plus two, so a 19. Yes, aura of protection. Ah, okay, so here we go. So uh, let's, this is level 
starting at level seven, paladins can't be charmed. So you feel you feel a great drawing to him. His handsomeness is suddenly overcome. The the teeth, the bear, the long fingernails disappear for a moment. The but hair you snap and the right, palms. Yeah, you snap right out of it, and you see him for what he is. A vampire ahead of you. What? What are you doing? Get out! Edward. What do you mean, what am I doing? Get out! You're in my room! I smelt the innocent blood of a young maiden of noble birth, and I have come to feast. But there's a whole collection of us. Why me? Because you are innocent, and I desire this on this night. (laughs) <laughs> okay, do you want to fight? What the... Fight the maiden? Yeah. I came to seduce you out the window with my powers. And <laughs> how have you resisted me? It's real what we do in the shadows. Vampires yeah. coming from the <laughs> vampire nation this week. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm blessed by a god. Look, you don't want to mess with me right now. A paladin here in the house of noble birth. Okay, look, fine. You know what? I'll just kill you now. It'll be good that way. And then uh, (laughs) Evelyn will run uh, between the window and the vampire and she'll take a hit at him. Okay, make your first swing. A 19. That's a hit. And she's holding a two-handed, so 14 damage. Do you augment it in any way? Do you or proceed into your second attack? Nope, she's going to go for the second attack. Okay. 16. Is it hit? And a 12. Now, quick question. Do you lock your door at night? Uh... No. He means the in real life. Like, to be locked does in Kristen it. do it? That's what he's asking. Just kidding. <laughs> so, so he, what? The lady of noble birth with a hammer. Ah! What the, ah! Ah! And your hammer from, you know, your radiant palate leaves these great kind of uh, indents on his body. He floats into the air and takes two claw attacks at you. With a 21 and a 14. Um, let's see. The 21 definitely hits. Let me see what I am without my armor on. And the 14 hits as well. Okay, so both hit for 16 points of slashing damage. And as such, he's able to grapple you and he moves in for a bite. Swings down his teeth with a 23. That hits. Six points of piercing and seven necrotic, so 13 total as he bites your neck. Okay, cool. Uh, for her bonus action to start off her next turn, she's going to cast a Branding Smite. Okay. And it will gleam with Astral Radiance, and so it will deal an extra 2d6 radiant damage. 
meaning it will also become visible if it is invisible, and it sheds a dim light in a five-foot radius, and can't become invisible until the spell ends. Okay, you will have disadvantage on the attack because you are considered restrained. That's okay. She's going for hits anyway. She's going to, so she's restrained, so she's going to try and bonk the back of his head by moving her forearm, forearm with the hammer. So he's got, his his bite is in your arm. You're going to kind of swing it into the back of his head? Yeah, exactly. Nice. Okay. Make the attack. All right. The 22 was the lower one. All right. That's a hit. So 11 basic damage. And then nine radiant damage. So 20 points of damage total plus the... 26 you've done so far, 46 points of damage. So you smack it into him, and as he kind of and is forced down to your shoulder, kind of knocks his head, and his teeth slide free. It cuts you for three points of damage as he does so, but he stumbles back, and blocking the blinding light shining from your mace, kind of holds up his hand to it. And then at the door, Evelyn! Evelyn, are you in there? Is everything all right? And you hear a click of the door, and the door flies open, and there's uh, Lord Blackwood and Lady Blackwood, both in their in their nightgowns and whatnot, and she goes, "Oh, a vampire!" And at this point, that's when Evelyn will take her second attack with an eighteen. That's a hit. Your parents are awesome. <laughs> Fourteen damage. <laughs> Oh, a vampire! It's preposterous. So unorthodox. And then fourteen radiant damage. Damn, nice. Okay, so double, so twenty-eight total. So as he kind of like what? turns around, and looks at your parents, you smack him right in the shoulder, and ah, kind of collapses down. Uh, it's his move now, and he spider climbs up onto the ceiling, kind of skittering sideways as he does. Now, standing on the ceiling in front of you, he takes another double swipe at you with his claws. A eight and a seven. Cool. Those both miss. He misses. He spider climbed. It's your turn. All right, uh, Evelyn will, seeing that he's ranged now, will kind of look around the room through all of her stuff, locate the javelin of lightning, pick it up, and chuck it. While saying shocking, so that when it hits him, it does the lightning damage. All right, give that a chuck. Twelve. Twelve is a mist. But doesn't, I think the magic hits, doesn't it? Let's take a look at that. I, I think I, yes, I oh, I do the dexterity saving throw, right? Magic weapon, hurl it, say the magic words. So it's a line attack. And I have to make a dexterity saving throw. Okay. 
I got a 16, so he dodges. Cool, so half damage then. Oh, damn. Okay, what's half damage? <laughs> no escaping the lightning. Oh, I did uh, 46. I'm sorry, let me roll that again. Well, damage is 10, so half of that is 5. Never mind. All right, he's still going. He get he dodges the lightning ah, and it kind of embeds in the wall as this great lightning arc comes from your hands and descends. This is not worth it. I and he runs to the window and jumps out at like full span and starts to fly away. It's your turn as he reaches a distance of what's his movement speed? Uh, sixty feet away. Oh, wow, that's pretty far away. It's 60 feet. That's not disadvantage on throne, right? Uh, javelins are a range of 30, yes, so you would have disadvantage on that attack if you were to use one of your javelins. All right, let me look through my spells real fast. But no, actually, yeah, Grinkeeper's not big on spells, so she'd run to the window and she'd chuck two da- javelins at him, not really aiming too hard, but going, and don't come back! Okay. It'd be so good if it gets him, though. Uh, 19 was the lower one there. That's that's a hit. 10 damage. Okay, so... <laughs> so, you run over to your javelins. You've got So, on your bed, and your parents kind of like, hey, what, what? And they look at your bed, and there's this huge pile of weaponry. All your javelins all your various items that you've collected over your time adventuring, and you pick up one of the javelins in full Olympic style, you know, in your nightgown, your your massive muscles bulging with your 20 strength, maxed out strength, you and let it loose, and, it, and, and I see, ah, oh, I'm free, I've made it, ah, it's just, God, ah, it pierces through him, and, he, ah, and falls into the street, and the javelin carries him down, and he's impaling, ah, 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 and he just sl- slides down the whole street now. His starting windows are starting to light up as he ah, ah, and he's <laughs> gripping at his back and, and collapses onto the ground. I thought it was a, a maiden. <laughs> oh, Evelyn, what is the meaning of the you bested a vampire in your own? I told you, I'm not sick. This is most unlike you, dude. What did that finishing school teach you? How to finish vampire. The finishing school didn't teach me anything. I've joined an adventuring guild. It was quite good. Very good for... The best of vampire. Let us allow, allow Dr. Ripper to look at your wounds. Oh, yeah, thanks. Now, here before them, you do have the option to heal your own wounds. Oh, yeah, she totally forgets that she has spells uh, to do that. I'm a paladin. <laughs> I got a god. I can heal stuff. But don't the spells when you touch someone else... 
Uh, you can heal yourself with your own spells. It depends if you have some prepared. As for lay on hands, I don't know if that's a rule, actually. Let's see. It says you can touch a creature, so I don't know if that means another creature or a creature includes yourself. A creature includes yourself. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Cool. Then in that case, she would, because she knows how to lay on hands. She's done that plenty of times. So she'd be like, no, watch. And then she'd glow with pink light and the wounds would heal. So you place your hand over the wound and it glows with the with the pink light. And when you she wouldn't your even hand, put her hand on it, she'd just ooh. stand there staring at her parents. Ooh, as the wound heals. Yeah, as like the hair kind of floats up a bit while she does it. And they both look in on in shock, and the camera would be on them as it the the pink light basts their face, and the wind blows a little bit in their their nightgowns and hair. And outside, ah, the vampire still moans and groans. We go to Ko out in the woods, who's searching for one veggie sticks. (laughs) Make a. This would be like a, you could do a survival tracking. You could do a nature. You could do a perception. What would you use to track down veggie sticks? And how well do you think Ko would remember some three months back adventuring in this woods? I think uh, I'm going to roll perception because it's my highest stat. And, um, you know, he'd remember, he'd remember the, that they followed a, a trail of, carvings to get to his place so the perception would be to keep an eye out for those uh the trees right mm, the trees um, with the faces on them yeah so it's a 26 perception to see the, to see the trees so you make your way through the woods here and you find the trees quite easily and you begin following their winding path towards that large large tree that's been hollowed out into a hut for one veggie sticks and beneath it, you find in all his dirty old skins and furs the small gnome from so long ago and his little bushes that dance about his person and his area. Uh, Ko would approach him. He wouldn't try to be quiet. He wouldn't try to sneak up on him. Um, so he'd kind of do an intentional, like... <clears throat> Aha! Whoa! Ah... Uh, um, back, yeah, okay. And he snaps in your face, but it's like, you know, three feet down and it's a much smaller snap, so it's kind of higher pitched. And like, okay, okay, yeah, I remember. Oh. What are you doing here? Uh, hi, Veggie Sticks. Um, hey, I was wondering if you could do me a favor. Okay. Did you want something to eat? Um, no. You lost? No, I came I came looking for you. Um, see, I'm part of the Adventurers Guild, if you remember. And, I remember uh, that, yeah. Yeah, the, the Grick, the day of the Grick, I call it. Yeah, it was uh, an exciting day. A lot going on. And, uh, you know, the Guild could use your help again. Specifically, I could use your help again. What, what am I, what, what do you want me to do? Well, all you would have to do is, uh, for just a, a day, probably, come into town. Oh. 
I I know. I knew that was going to be the big uh, hurdle in this uh, in this endeavor. But come into the town, help the guild out, and you would be doing a personal favor for me. We just need your expertise on your magic, and and the you know the abilities that you have over nature. Roll a persuasion. Natural 20 for a 24. You are a convincing man. You know that? I I, I was just thinking about you and how you saved my life. Uh, you look like you did a lot since then. You got... You got it. I'll help out. Sure. Um, got anything clean? Like... Clothes? Oh, yeah, out here I'm just smelling myself. I'm not, it doesn't bother me much, but uh, town they tend to get a little excited about all this. Um, no, <laughs> I, I don't, but y- you know, I, I think it'll be fine. I think, you know, I think it adds to your, your whole thing. The guild really appreciates theatrics, and you know, your thing is nature living out here living wild and i i think this will really complete the image for them well fine since you make such a convincing argument i'm yours uh how do we get back uh well but we're gonna walk unless you have a better way oh shoot well um ride a griffin or a hippogriff a hippogriff i get confused sometimes you have a hippogriff? I have friends. I've got friends. Don't you? Yeah, I've got friends. Friends? I don't have friends that are hippogriffs, but I have friends. Yeah, let me see. Let me see if they'd be up for it. He leaves you for about two hours. Jeez. You sit there at his camp as his little bushes dance about. He rolls. No, yeah, they're not helping. No, no, they, they don't like you much. Um... Not my fault. We're walking. Let's walk. Okay. Uh, wow. That was that. That took a while for uh, a big no. Well, they're um, not much for talking. I had to like track them down. I had to get them to listen. Hippogriff okay. isn't an easy language either. It's very slow. Okay, that's fine. All right, let's uh, let's go. We've uh, we've got time to make up. Apparently. Yep. You you hold my hand. Uh, okay. Gonna do some tree striding. Tree striding, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You ever tree strode? No. Well, as long as there's... Do you, do, you, do you know if there is a... Oak. Nearby. In the guild. I... I I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't know what an oak tree looks like. Okay, what... Is there any trees planted near the guild? There are definitely trees by the guild. Okay, what kind are they? The kind with branches and leaves. Okay, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to try this out a little bit then. Okay. Uh huh. He takes your hand and walks over to a nearby tree and touches it, and you feel yourself zoom through the forest, ending up at the exact same style of tree. And then he runs over to the next tree, kind of dragging you like a little kid holding your hand uh, down at his height. And he touches another tree and zooms across the forest from tree to tree to tree of the same kind. 
eventually you find yourself on the edge of Atmer in pretty quick order. And then he kind of looks out ahead of him. I think that is... Uh... Oak? Okay, which one? And then he runs over to another tree and hits and you kind of... Back through until you eventually reach the backyard of the guild at the great tree there. I was just going to look absolutely shocked. He was not ready for this. Oh, be a little sick. Oh, it's been a while. Okay. And he proceeds into the guild with you, and you and Carrie use his magical means to put a discern direction spell inside the orb amulet that you have. And you are now able to discern a basic light on your orb as to which direction it's sensing. Nice. Kind of a little golden pinpoint that floats back and forth. Thunderbolt, nature he, check. Oh, go oh, for it. Go. I was going to say, before he goes, Co would just recommend, you know, Veggie Sticks, there's not a lot of people uh, representing the forest uh, in the guild. And I know you don't like people trespassing in your woods and all that, but uh, we could really use your voice in a place like this. You don't get represented if you don't participate. You ever think about helping out more often? If it concerns my woods, I'll think about it, but I'm not really into all this. Let me let me hit you with a with a little analogy, shall I? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We're living in a you're in a corpse right now. A big creepy every floorboard in here, all whispering. This is the most haunted place I've ever been in. Okay. I don't want to be anywhere near a building. That's fair. I think that's, you know, I think that's a, a creepy point that I've never considered before and will now never be able to not consider. But imagine they took a dog and made it a chair. No, that's what's no, right I don't. There. OK, that's thank you, Veggie Sticks. It's been very helpful. My pleasure. And he runs out to the back, touches the tree and poof, he's gone. Slenderbelt, roll a nature check. Nature check incoming. Naker, naker, nature check achieved. A 19. He's still upset about the naked man. <laughs> <laughs> I failed the naked check hard before, so. There you go, 19. As we proceed through time here, the farm is doing quite well with a 19. It is growing, blossoming. You have not been accosted by another naked man since that day. You notice that throughout town, there are various... Suddenly, uh, stories, short stories written by an unknown hand are appearing on posts across town. They all tell the stories of the Shadow, the Hulk, and the Princess. And they're written, they're written okay. They're all right. (laughs) But they all flatter one Cassius, Guildmaster, and his exploits in saving the town. As you, uh, Echo, as you continue to help the guild out and now realize you can start to do this on your own with no moral quandaries about knocking the elves out. You become sort of an elf hunter in town, moving about, locating quickly the feral and taking them out, waiting for them to roust, and they go about their day. Splendorbelt, you're soon left alone, no longer required to go to the guild anymore, and you go full-time farming. The wall completes around the financial district and a great stage is erected. 
the town becomes absolutely overrun with adventurers coming from all manners. Uh, Evelyn, you hear in town that every silver is making their way to Atimur. And it, there's a great influx, a gold rush of people who enter the town. There are tents set up outside the town, just rounding the entire city. As adventurers put up their tiny huts and their various magical means are just plain old tents. Many of them buy up some of the dilapidated buildings that are on the edge or start to invest in the buildings that others are fleeing around the immediate area of the wall. Co, you end up purchasing a home down by the guild during this time. The stories don't do much to change things with Cassius, who has still been unseen since his apprehension, and the Delvers have continued to be grounded during this time. Though, Ko, you are paid a uh, stipend for your time as the elf hunter throughout the town. That keeps you and your family happily going. Uh, the farm doesn't need much in, ter- in terms of funds, and so there's no need for Splunderbelt to take up any jobs during this time, even though he's not allowed. After the events of the vampire attack, Evelyn, your parents believe you now. They no longer accost you with medical needs. They no longer restrict your diet. And in general, they sit you down in one night and your father looks to your mother. We've been talking. Your life is yours. We can see that you are a brave paladin. We support you in your adventures. Evelyn will look at them and go, thank you. I'm going back to Atomer, but I will be back. Do see that you don't write us, dear. Do write. We'll be most concerned about you, and we hope that you may find what you search for, and should it lead back to us and Julian, well, we hope that you may. Um, and making the face you just made in the video, she, she kind of backs down. And Well, perhaps Julian may not be the right person for your... Um, when I come back, it won't be with Julian. Or for I, Julian. I see. Well, the business will suffer from this, but we were happy to um, uh, support your habits. Uh, your, your brave lady. We're very proud of you, honey. Gives mom a shake. All right, I'm going now. And then she'll head outside and spend ten minutes to summon her celestial mount, which is an elk. Giant antlers. And she just looks to her parents after she mounts it and goes, I will return. What what does the summoning look like? Do you lay out candles in a circle? Do you... How does this go for you? It takes ten minutes. That's a good question. It's a long one. So she hasn't done it before, so she'll kind of go outside, look like she looks like she knows what she's doing. Then she'll kind of stand there, thinking about it really hard. And thinking about it really hard kind of feels the right direction. Then she'll kind of like make uh, elk noises. 
or something. <laughs> Try out a few noises until she gets one that feels like an elk noise. And she'll just kind of stand there in the street making elk noises for ten minutes while she makes sure that vampire is dead. Yes, the vampire was uh, collected by a gold league slayer who gave it a proper staking with a wooden stake. But uh, as cool. the gold leagues protect the city, they did attend to the vampire at your father's request. All right. So she, so after 10 minutes of making weird noises, she'll get up on the elk, say the thing to her parents and ride off. And the camera would show the hoofs riding past, running over the corpse of the vampire or the ash that's left behind. <laughs> as your holy hoofs stomp through the corpse, kind of blows aside and you ride off on a five day ride with your bag of holding and all your adventuring gear. So we find ourselves now with three months having passed. We're in the city of Atomer. A great hubbub has gathered around that stage that's been constructed. Splendor Belt, you're coming into town for some farming equipment. Co, you're making your way across town looking for feral ghouls and doing your job that has been tasked with you. And one Grinkeeper has only just arrived in town on her magnificent Elkin Stallion. Several halflings come out on the stage with bizarre instruments. Great big tubes, kind of, uh, you know, Blue Man Group style stuff. Great copper tubing and begin playing on it. And a man wearing gallant, beautiful, dazzling robes walks out. He has in his hands a wand that he flips around and brings it before his mouth. And now, Scott, if you would play the file I sent you. And he speaks to the crowd and says, Welcome to Atomer, the Silver City. Congratulations, adventurer. You have arrived at your destiny. Below your feet right now lies one of the greatest unplumbed hordes of treasure and experience to have ever been discovered in the kingdom. This one sleepy city of minor perils was transformed overnight to the premier guild questing hub thanks to the Kalazar, the spirit of an ancient elven king who once ruled over the Underdark. This self-declared undying majesty rose to the surface to reclaim his throne, only to be pushed back by the local Chimera guild. Now in retreat, the vast dungeons and ruins of his fallen empire are yours to explore. We know the challenges of today. The Vampire Nation presses in on Verma City. Gold Leagues and above are in constant demand. That is why the Guild Academy has invited you to join the Silver Raids departing daily into Atomer's Underground. In Atomer, you will find all the supplies, companions, and crafters needed to begin your climb towards those glorious western towers. But before you take your first step into the tunnels below, there are several rules that you must obey. First, every Silver League must pass a brief inspection and purchase an Atomer questing license. Second, elves, half-elves, and those of Sylvan descent are not allowed within the Governor Square limits lest they be overcome by the Kalazar's call. Third, never stay in the tunnels below Atomer overnight. And finally, if you encounter a boss door or monster nest, consider returning to town and submitting a raid request. 
it's better to share the treasure than die alone. More will be explained at your proper orientation. For now, enjoy this city's humble hospitalities. And remember, while you may face the darkness, your future is bright. Amazing. <laughs> that's great. All right. And that's where we end for today. Yeah, wow. that sounds like a really great Jeez. season three uh, kicker there to me. Well, we're in the thick of it, you guys. That's where we're at. So uh, <laughs> if you want to hear how things go, well, you'll have to tune in next time to see uh, what happens with these new opportunities. And I love the sound of tunnels. They sound like dungeons to me. Mm, you might see there uh, there may be dungeons or there will be dungeons. That's what we're saying. Uh, speaking of where there will be dungeons, therewillbedungeons.com is our website. You can become a Dungeons Plus member over there. Super easy and get cool stuff in the mail, including artwork that I create sometimes during the show, sometimes not, but it gets mailed to you directly. You get cool stuff from the DM, like we mentioned earlier in the show, and uh, more. Bonus show every month, all that kind of stuff. It's all there. Head on over and sign up. That's therewillbedungeons.com. It's going to do it for us, for me, for Kyle, for Kristen, for John. See you next time. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Frog Pants Network. Get more shows like this at frogpants.com.